from the north citizens of earth welcome today we have a fellow scandinavian on who strangely is more known in the rest of the world indeed an icon in the serious investigative research into conspiracies to commit corruption terror and disinformation you know some twaddlers call us a conspiracy show which i always take issue with because only few of our shows actually do examine conspiracy facts and or theories and there's almost none who doesn't touch it one way or another seeing as it is an integral part of our reality indeed whenever two or more people lay and execute covert plans which is the majority of what we call history or crime for that matter then it is a conspiracy But now we are actually doing a show on this, namely looking into the deep state octopus committing political assassinations and terror known under many nicknames. And today we will focus on the incredible case of Olof Palme. And if you don't know him, it doesn't matter because the case, which by the way is the most expensive murder investigation in history, is so wild anyway that it will be interesting and Da Vinci Code entertaining. This case is just an example of how they operate and we will look into other cases in future shows, notwithstanding the Dulles Borman shows we've already done. If you haven't guessed by now, our guest is of course the codebreaker, peacemaker and investigator Ola Damegor, who is an author, international speaker, journalist, musician, composer, artist and inventor. He has dedicated 40 years to researching socio-political crimes with millions of people around the world being exposed to his meticulous and fact-based work and has done over a thousand international interviews. Born in Denmark in 58, he moved to Sweden at age 8 where he worked as a journalist between 75 and 82. In 79, he started a lifelong research into assassinations and false flags. After he quit as a journalist, he started traveling the world, visiting what now amounts to 54 countries and counting. Apart from several odd jobs like bus driver, cab driver and theater workshop, he worked as a teacher between 85 and 88 and as a web designer between 2013. Indeed, on the artistic side, he has done much more. Between 74 and 82, he custom-painted hot rods and motorcycles and won a prize for a custom-built veteran car. In 85, he had his first own art exhibition, which sold out. In 88, he started his own art gallery. In 89, he received an award for artistic creativity from the Art Academy in Prague. In 08, he started the company Master Design. Between 10 and 13, he worked on a water-saving device invention. During these years, he also created and maintained a website for the Ghazala dynasty. In 11, he designed an exclusive series of watches. In 12, he made a series of t-shirt prints for Exotic Wildlife Park in USA. In 15, he partook in a two-hour special on Creative Rebellion in Ireland. Between 09 and 16, he made covers, design, layouts and illustrations for 21 books and five music albums. 
In 19, his interview with former George Soros employee Susie Mesola was used in an art exhibition in Bucharest. Don Megor has also been active in film and music, for the latter as a vocalist, guitarist, harpist and songwriter, and as composer for TV and film. Between 74 and 82, he was founding member of the band Forceur Cadugar. In 89, he moved to UK working as a professional musician. In 93, he composed, recorded and released his first solo album, Heart Glow. Same year, he also produced and directed the music video for the album, starring Miss Sweden. Between 95 and 96, he composed music for the Swedish national TV channel TV4. In 96, he composed the theme for the Swedish film Blackout by an award-winning director. In 97, he released a second solo album called From Prison to Paradise, which reached 11th position of US hit charts. Throughout 2000, he worked as an extra on many film sets. In 2009, he composed the official theme song for the Unite the Nation Peace Festival in Berlin. In 10, he cooperated with the Swedish award-winning singer Malu Berg. In 18, he was interviewed for a Serbian book on audiovisuals. In 20, he was part of the documentary The Masked Ball, Eyes Wide Shut, Mouth Wide Shut, together with, among others, TV hostess and pop star Sasseline Emanuel Dreyer. Same year, his research was also used as foundation for the Swedish comedy series We Got This. And same year, he was also invited to the recording of a mini We Are The World type event in Sweden, with a song about covid In 29, he was a voiceover artist and character in the computer game Rebellion Gaia. Apart from creating his own documentaries, he's been featured or interviewed on innumerable TV shows, documentaries, podcasts and radio shows. Obviously, too many to mention. On the spiritual side, Ule Domegor graduated as an international Raya Yoga teacher in 07. In 09, he wrote the children's book Yolanda Yoga Panda, Truth is One, Paths are Many. In 11, he created an online Raja Yoga TV channel. In 17, he was given the yogic name Arjuna by international Raya Yoga teacher Nalani Harilela Chelaram. And in 18, he released the book Remind Me. Become the master of your life. He has written five books and contributed to many others. He's also been covered in many books and journals. Some of the latter who had him as main feature is Veterans Today, Pen Magazine, Vice Magazine, Serbian Pechat, Geopolitica, Gibraltar Magazine, The Art Inside, Tranos Tidning, Sweden, Aftonblade, Sweden, Vox Pop, South African Rainbow Times, Iranian Neda.com, Gibraltar Globe Magazine, the Swedish magazine The Millennium Science, Exopolitics, and the international magazine MENA. Perhaps above all, at least in this context, he is an obelisk in the international conference world. Too many to mention, but he's been opening speaker, keynote speaker, or guest of honor at these events. Technical Institute in Copenhagen, Exposing the Truth Conference in Warsaw, Multiple Realities Conference in New York, From Illusion to Reality Conference in Prague, Open Mind Conference in Copenhagen and Amsterdam, 
Dark Truth Conference in York, World Peace Day in Spain and Gibraltar, the False Flag and Assassination Conference in Austin, Nordic Light Conference in Sweden, World Health Sovereignty Summit in Indonesia, Wake Up Globe Conference in Sweden, Awaken Weekend in Denmark, the Olof Palme Assassination Conference in Sweden, World Peace Day in Gibraltar, Telegram Conference in Estonia, the Forum Talk in London, the Oswald Conference in New Orleans, Keep Talking in London, World Freedom Alliance International in Denmark and Sweden, Anarchapulco in Mexico, The World You Don't Know in Ireland, Transcend Bilderberg Symposium in Denmark, Project Camelot event in Barcelona, Kulturhuset Trickeria in Sweden, Qui Bono in Sweden, The Covert Human Harassment Conference in Berlin, International Roni Kill the Day with NTV1 in Poland, World Intellectual Forum in France, Paradigm Roundtable in Denmark, Integral Yoga Center in Gibraltar, and the Yoga Hall, Spain. Examples of other well-known speakers he's shared a scene with are James Corbett, Cynthia McKinney, Ray McGovern. Oh my God, three people right there I want to have on this show. Folks, nag them if you somehow are within their reach. Alison Ware, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Deepak Chopra, Noam Chomsky, Dr. Rashid Batar, Dr. Suck Bush, Sean Stone, His Excellency Edward Davis, the Honorable Stephen Linares, Professor Daniela Tilbury, Max Egan, Jason Goodman, Professor Ulla Johansson, Dr. Jim Fetzer, Dr. Kevin Barrett, Jay Wadner, William Dean Garner, Ken O'Keefe, Christopher Bolin, Dr. Nick Begich, Jim Mars, Dr. Cyril Vest, John Barbour, Colonel William Gregory, Roger Stone, Dr. Thomas C. Daffern, Ron Paul, David Morgan, Mark Passio, Mark Devlin, Alfred Webre, David Ray Griffin, General Wesley Clark, Barbara Honegger, Aaron Russo, Paul Craig Roberts. Other interesting factoids about Ulla. As a young man, he was an adventurer, traveling alone on an old bicycle throughout Europe, and another time on a motorbike in icy winter to be part of the Berlin Wall demolition. He received the Prague Peace Prize, which also has been awarded to Jim Mars. He was adopted by the Apache Nation and given the native name Vyakpayella Vanze, meaning Bright One. He was also crucial in exposing two of modern times' worst serial killer in cooperation with Professor Jim Fetzer. He received an award from the National Institute of Literature for his novel Shadow of Tears. He hosted a webinar with St. John Hunt, son of CIA operatives E. Howard Hunt and Dorothy Hunt, who were involved in the GFK assassination. He helped private black op contractor Cody Snodgeress to step forward as a whistleblower. When invited as key speaker to the Left Forum in New York, their three panels were banned as anti-Semitic, a well-known trick to stop dissidents' outlets. The event regrouped and organized a secret left-out forum. <laughs> Similar obstructions have happened several times to Damagord. A few years ago, he addressed the Swedish court in the so-called Anna case, trying to protect her abused child. His words to the judges was, It is absolutely shameful what you are doing to a totally innocent individual. I know she is already doomed to be crushed by the machine, but before you sentence her, please be reminded of the law of karma. What you do comes back to you. She was released a few days later.
When going to Tilburg, Netherlands to give a tour, he was welcomed with an airplane circling the city center with a massive banner saying, Welcome, Ole Damegar. He was chosen to represent the people of Europe when giving a memorial speech at the JFK assassination conference in Daly Plaza, Dallas. After an interview with Mena magazine was recorded, two masked men entered the offices, grabbed one of the editors by the throat, saying, don't ask any more questions. The staff decided to publish it anyway. He had a personal meeting with Oswald's girlfriend, Judith Wary Baker, who appointed him as a special board member of the JFK International Conference. He's also been invited as a senior member in the Oswald Innocent Campaign. Not only has he exposed various inside jobs by the global terror network Octopus, but has accurately predicted 49 alleged terror attacks up to two months before they occurred, and thereby thwarted several planned massacres by the media attention. In fact, with a lifetime of deep state research, his last name has become a verb, where to damagar or damagarding is a term for photographic analysis predicting upcoming false flag terror events. Ula estimates that about 6,000 people are behind almost all the major strife of the modern world. He highlights the importance of Operation 40 in modern deep politics and that CIA has assassinated many more people than is commonly recognized, including prominent peace activists such as John Lennon and Bob Marley. Folks make no mistake about it. It is the same dirty players we've tracked down in other shows. Welcome to Forum Borealis, Ula. Thank you so much, Al. Good to meet you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I think it's uh, actually the first time on a Norwegian show, believe it or not. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. <laughs> as far as I know, it's the first Norwegian invitation I ever got, which I find a little strange. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe a conspiracy, but I'll tell you, Ula. It's amazing. You've been completely under the radar for me. And I do, I don't know if you checked our shows, but, but I, I have shows in the line of your work. I avoid the word conspiracy. You embrace it. Good for you. Mm. But we try to have like one foot in, in like the critical mainstream, whether left or right, mm. and one foot in the rabbit hole. And, and we balance very deliberately there. But I think for some reason you're, you're relatively unknown in Sweden, in Norway at least. So I aim to do something about that today. That's excellent. Well, my people, you know, I think my audience is perfect for your work. And I'm so looking forward to exposing you to them. Not, I'm not just talking about the Norwegians. Mm. I'm also talking about the Americans. So, because, uh, you know, this isn't one homogeneous group. No, no. There's different factions, there's different mm. cliques. And I don't believe my circles are too familiar with you. Okay. So, it would be great. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Super duper. But, um, yeah, and you've been completely going under my radar. That's really amazing, especially since I've been in Norway multiple times. So, I've been on tour in Norway several times and I've yeah. been... Yeah, I've been doing talks about Ute. I've been, I mean, it's caused a lot of things, uh, but it's then they shut me down. So it's like, wow. So uh, I almost got arrested right outside Ute by the guy who actually is, is said to have put the handcuffs on Anders Breivik. Yeah. But that is one massive, massive, massive false flag, that whole Utøya thing, my God. Okay, because I'm on record saying that that's probably one of the few 
that wasn't organized. But I love to hear if you have some credible info on oh that. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, because uh, this is the first time on Norwegian media as far as i know which is uh, i find it that i feel very very grateful that you have invited me yeah like i told you i haven't heard about you before until my own listeners started to you know they often suggest guests so i got one here one there now i have had many of my listeners have suggested to get you on mm. and 50 percent of my listeners are american None of the Scandinavian people have have talked about you. Mm. Anyway, eventually I checked you out because I realized your name. Is it Damegård or Damegård? It's, it's actually Damegård, but it, since uh, I'm mostly uh, sort of moving around in the States and in English-speaking countries, it's become Damegård because they they would right. get totally messed up but you know if i said gourd they would think it was with an o and then there would be all these misspellings so <laughs> we just went for damagard yeah. so right whatever okay by the way are you kim damagor is she related to you yeah it's my wife that's your wife i see yeah. that makes sense <laughs> it does right okay Plot is taking. So, uh, yeah, my idea is that we today do the assassination thing. We start with Palma and then we just unravel it from there and see how far we go. Because I know I've researched you now, so I know you have a lot of ties. You know, the more I look into you, the more I realize I should probably, this should probably not be a one off. But we'll see. If you enjoy this interview, you're welcome to come back and, and have a follow-up, for example, on Breivik. Thank you so much. Because we'll... Uh, you know, I, th- I don't think we'll, we'll get around to Utøya today. Not a problem. That's... Uh, I mean, I know a lot about it, so I'm going to be so interested to hear you. It's it's not only if I enjoy it and I feel it's extremely important. So, of course, I will be happy to come back on your show, for sure. Okay. Um, on that, yeah. yeah. You, you say you want to start with the Olaf Palme. Yeah. The Olaf Palme is the biggest murder mystery in the world. It is massive, massive, massive. So, I don't know, up to you, but uh, it's not something to easily just touch on. But I can easily just drop in and out and then connect it with the bigger picture because uh, otherwise that's a six-hour show for you right there. Right. No, I suspect as much. And I think it's important to do Palma. First off, I respect him personally as a human being. I remember when he got killed. Second, there's almost nobody who has taken on that mystery. Mm. Uh, so, so that makes this pretty unique. But anyway, yeah. And so I looked into you. I, I realized you had a Scandinavian name and I, I do want to have not just American guests on. I want to have like a fair share of Europeans and Scandinavians. So I'm very happy to have you on as a serious researcher, because as people heard in the introduction, you started out as a mainstream journalist, didn't you? Yeah, that is true. It was one of my first jobs was as a journalist. So uh, yeah, I went down that way. And I'm very grateful for the years because that really learned me how to ask questions, I think, and also to understand that this, this, the truth can often be hidden in silence. So it's very important not to just only listen to what people answers and when they, when they answer what they say, but also what they don't say and what they try to avoid saying, 
because that's often where the real truths can can be. So I'm grateful for that background. Yeah. Before we get into the nitty-gritty details, I don't know if you even can pinpoint it in terms of a date or a time period, but when would you say that the last remnant of a free press mm. uh, got completely overtaken by the monolith machine that's ruling media today? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I know that when I was working as a journalist, I, I thought that media was free. You know, I felt proud to be a journalist. I felt uh, uncensored. It was only one time that I, I felt this hidden hand that went in and stopped an article that I'd written. That was the only time that I ever noticed. And I was very confused because uh, I, di I didn't understand who had actually stopped it because it was not on the local editing, uh, our edition of the newspaper. It, wa it wasn't there. Uh, it was somewhere up near the owners of uh, what was called Halpressen, that I, I worked for. Mm. So it was it was an interesting experience because there was this unseen hand that just went in and said, nope. And uh, I couldn't track it. I didn't know who did it. I just knew that it was stopped. And this was sort of a, on a very low level when you compare to what's going on in the world. But what I can tell you is that these uh, dark forces have been very, very aware of the power of media and they worked very intense on trying to concentrate the power to fewer and fewer and fewer owners. And over the years, they've managed to take over with these big multinational companies like Shipsteads in Sweden and, and so on, where, where it's just like you think that there's all of these individual yeah. uh, channels of, uh, of information, but they're not. They're not. And it's, uh, it's very, very sad. I've even, not long ago, I sat with a journalist who had uh, 40 years uh, behind, behind him as a journalist, heavyweight, a real journalist who used to work for CNN, BBC, he was uh, part of, of starting uh, Al Jazeera. What's his name? And he was just sitting, I'm not saying it, he was just oh. sitting uh, <laughs> uh, almost in tears, uh, an alcoholic and uh, very, very, very sad over what had happened with his profession. Right. And he said, there's, there's no real journalist left. Yeah, you know, he even said about Al Jazeera, he was so happy when they started that up and he was so proud <clears throat> and they were making incredible progress. Mm. And then one day he said there were these more or less men in black that just came to the office. They went into the main office, spoke to the owner. And when they left, the whole uh, direction of their news, ca uh, their news services changed direction. It just changed. And he said he doesn't even know who came in, what was said at that meeting, if it was a threat, if this guy was paid off or whatever. But it just did a 90 degree mm. change of direction, which is and after that, he, he just lost faith in, it, in all of it and left. Yeah. So real journalists, I, I don't know if they even exist. I think people like us are more journalists than the real journalists. Yeah, I mean, there are real journalists, but they are not working for the mainstream media anymore. True. And even though it's old timers like Robert Fisk and John Pilger, even they, oh, actually Fisk is dead now, but 
they are outliers today and even they are treated i mean they they have to treat them like a little with respect but when they are died out and all we have are the new generation citizen journalists bloggers those kinds mm. then um, it's game over because of course you probably are aware that they are trying to make journalism into they're trying to change that profession into meaning that you have to be employed by a mainstream media company. Mm. And uh, you said Chipstead, yeah, they uh, run half the media in my country and people think it's Norwegian. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're owned by Jeff Bezos, <laughs> the oh, there you go. richest man in the world, right? So there we go. Now, another interesting thing we discovered when we talked in the pro session here is that the thing you have been tracking down that people will be exposed to today is probably the same, at least I think it's one of the tentacles of the same kind of shadow group that we have been tracking down. Our angle here has been different. We've tracked down something called the Bowman Brotherhood. I don't know if you've heard about them. No, nope. not that I know of. Bowman Brotherhood is like the cabal, <laughs> like the real life cabal. Mm. And I think you have tracked down the same gang, only from a completely different angle. I think, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Often they have different names, uh, you know, so that, uh, yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, our detective work starts in World War Two, just so you know. Mm. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay. So I've had a lot of guests on for what it has several names, like you say, but from our angle, it's, it's the Bormann Brotherhood or the Bormann Reich, okay. which amalgated with the Western Anglo-American elite after the war and became, uh, it launched the first multinational corporations. And it's just a beast that's ruling intel agencies stupidly referred to as intel community these days of course uh, the banks especially the central banks and the multinational corporations so this beast is very real i reject like attempts to make it into a a cartoonish thing like it's all the jews or oh, it's all the communists or oh, it's all aliens it's all the freemasons you know what i mean it's uh, mm. according to some good research the elite in the world today uh, the superclass as they called accounts i think it's six thousand human beings into 400 families most of those families are old money of course but anyway that's where we're coming from now I'm so thrilled to hear your take. And I want to start okay. back in Scandinavia, actually, with a case that has had so little good digging. We mostly have the mainstream stuff. There's been some movements the last years to kind of revise the investigation, but people really don't know sufficiently about the very, very dirty case of Olof Palman. Yeah. Americans out there, Olof Palman was a very interesting Swedish politician who did not follow NATO and the CIA and the military industrial complex. He had his own mind. Like many people back in, in the day, after the war and until, I guess, the 80s, there were many what we call statesmen. Yeah. That's lacking today. But he got assassinated and it's just one of the many, many 
who has been taken uh, away. I mean, it's all. Why aren't these who are on the who are bribed by the elites? Why aren't they assassinated? If this is like just you know lone gunmen, <laughs> it's always the good guys. And so uh, we'll start there, Ulla. If you could uh, uh, tell us how you got into the Palmer case to begin with. Yeah, not a problem. So I got into the Palmer case. The Palmer case was sort of the fourth big, really big case that I got into because uh, in 1980, I, it was the first time I saw the so-called Sapruda film where you see the final headshot when JFK is being killed. And it's very obvious <clears throat> if you have some kind of the normal, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say only intelligence, but when it comes to physics and so on, that you see that the final headshot shows Kennedy's head back and to the left, meaning just with normal physics, that the shooter has to have been standing somewhere in front of the motor cage and to the right. But here we were being told right away that the, the shooter was behind him up in a, on the sixth floor in a building in a totally different direction yeah. behind a tree, meaning there's something very bizarre going on here because the, the head wouldn't have been thrown in that direction had the shooter been in the official location. And that was the thing that got me started because I couldn't figure out why these heavyweight like documentary <clears throat> makers and, and news agencies and broadcasters and all of them was backing this official story that was so obviously not true. I mean, what the real truth was, different story but what the official story was that was so obvious not true so i i became almost obsessed with the kennedy assassination i was i traveled to several different countries trying to track down witnesses books in these days all kinds of evidence wow this I was back in the 80s yeah i went to the states i went to england i tried to track down the producer of, uh, of uh, an incredible series of documentaries called The Man Who Killed Kennedy. Yeah. His name was Nigel Turner. I tried to contact him. I, you know, I really tried to find out what actually happened because it is an incredible, incredible murder mystery. Yeah. Anyway, that got me into the world of these assassinations. I don't, I, on that point in time, I had no idea that there were any connections behind them or between them. Yeah. So I became very interested in the Martin Luther King assassination, then Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it was all during these first five, six years where I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours uh, digging into these things that I started to see that there was some kind of pattern. There seemed to be a pattern behind how these assassination was carried out, not the actual killing of the individual but the whole setup of multiple shooters uh, a patsy that was being blamed the investigation that was actually part of the crime not there to find the real truth but to cover it up and and then this investigation followed by commissions that were there officially to look into and make sure that everything was being correctly done but these commissions were also part of the crime covering the whole thing up and then followed by the other commissions that just kept on burying the real truths and where people 
that was really starting to try and find out what the hell actually went down here, they were suddenly the ones that were targeted. So many of them ended up dead or suicided or drowned or discredited or destroyed their careers or ended up in mental institutions or in prisons for crime that was crimes that was so obviously not true. So very, very strange world to get into and also very scary world to get into. And and then uh, around 1985, I started feeling that it was almost like there was like a, a blueprint, a bullet, po- uh, bullet point list that was being used on how to commit assassinations and making the public believe that it was carried out by a lone crazy individual. And the reason why they all, all, always want this person to be alone is because then by law, there's no conspiracy and you don't have to deal with it legally in court as a conspiracy. And the reason they want this individual as crazy is because then there's no need for a motive. He was just crazy. He just killed him. And so if especially if that person gets killed right away, it's game over. You can just close the casket and duk, 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 duk. thank you so much, folks. We've sorted the crime. Thank you. Go by. Goodbye and go home. Yeah, but there's one more beneficent effect of that, and that's that normal people get afraid of other common people, Mm. and then it's much easier to push excuses for more surveillance, more security state, more control, more laws, more oppression, because look, you people, you can't handle yourself. You're going around killing good guys. So you never know who's crazy. So, uh, and, and, and people really, the debunkers, I don't mean like paid agent debunkers, but like just stupid knee jerk yeah. reactionary debunkers. They claim that people who are seeing patterns, seeing uh, bigger pictures here, let's call it a conspiracy. I know you embrace that word. I try to avoid it, but <laughs> let's go with it today. Fine. People who, who see that, they say, Oh, they're afraid. They can't handle reality. So they have to think it's a bigger picture. And, and that's like doublespeak because as a matter of fact, it's more scary that there are powerful people conspiring to do this yep. than it's, that's, it's just one lone gunman. So they do the classical union thing of transference, of projecting. They can't handle the fact that there are psychopaths in the top of the world's authorities and so they need to feel you know reassured that no no it's just an outlier it's just one crazy exception Mm -hmm. yeah that's part of the whole picture as well Mm -hmm. and this whole thing about conspiracy actually it only means to breathe together that's the real meaning of the world conspiracy and there's plenty of conspiracies if you take in the in the american legal system or english as well a conspiracy to fraud a conspiracy to it just means that two or more people are involved in criminal activity planning or carrying out criminal activity that's the only meaning of the word so but after the assassination of JFK, when ordinary people started looking into it and just saying, listen, this doesn't make any sense at all. Then the CIA came up with a, a word that became weaponized to be used yeah. against anyone who put up a critical mind, you know, to say, what I, we need to look into this. And the word they, they came up with was conspiracy theorist, mm. because the thing is, 
And this has been weaponized and used so heavily against anyone. So I tell you, I, with your listeners, if I say conspiracy, your mind will add the word theory or theorist. Mm. It's almost that bad. Mm. And this was, uh, it's now been uncovered. And in 64 to 67, the CIA was pushing this agenda with these specific words. And the, uh, the reason for that is as soon as you add theory or theorist, it means you add doubt. And then you can make joke with this in jokes about this individual you can disregard them you can make you know oh they're just crazy tinfoil hats and and so on so it's it's to derail individuals that are just trying to find out the real truth what happened mm. Mm. so anyway what i found was that uh, it seems like it was the old romans that came up with many of the templates that we are actually being still to this day being the victims of uh, how to carry out um, or how to control the masses through deception, through psychological operations and through assassinations where they take out the so-called good guys. Yeah, only the Romans uh, preferred poison, right? <laughs> they used so many different ways than, okay. than poison. They they were experts when it came to psychological operations. And I tell you, the things that we experience to this very day is built on the old Roman templates. There are not that many, but they're very powerful to this very day. And so in 86, uh, Olaf Palme was officially assassinated in fe on February the 20th. Uh, and I've spent some 30 odd years looking into this case. And I've been, I also written a book, it's almost a thousand pages uh, about this assassination. It's called Coup d'etat in slow motion, part one and two. Mm -hmm or in Swedish Statskup in slow motion. And it's extremely detailed with lots of photos, names, documents, uh, top secret, you name it. Anyway, so I thought, just like uh, I can hear that the, the way you describe me, and this is my picture of him as well, the day he died. I, I almost interviewed him just a week before he was assassinated. He was wow. coming to a city called Nechur because there was a big um, uh, uprising within the Social Democrat Party. And, uh, but I, I wasn't too fond of him. I thought he was uh, quite, he was very arrogant and very skilled, very intelligent, uh, a man of the people, but I never got that really to, to fit with his, his way of being because I thought often he was speaking down to people in a way that I did not really appreciate. But I mean, that's just on a personal level. But mm. what I thought, the official story of Ulla Palme was that he was a man of the people, the defender of the weak. Uh, you know, he was standing up for, for what is good and true. Uh, he was uh, defending countries, uh, the small countries mm. like, and the minorities like the Palestinian movement, PLO, yeah. uh, Fidel Castro, he was a supporter of him. He was with the Sandinistas down in Nicaragua when the whole rest of the world was uh, having problems with these through the the U.S. military force and the CIA and so on. Mm. But what I found out over the years is that this picture of him is so not correct because he was actually a Bilderberger himself, which is uh, one of the so. Oh wow! Yeah, he was. Uh, he was uh, twice. He was the guy that. Uh, uh, welcomed everybody at the Bilderberg meeting in Sweden at Salkvården, the hotel owned by by Wallenberg oh, yeah. in Sweden, and uh, and he was mm -hmm. mingling with very heavyweights, uh, Henry Kissinger, 
Grohallen Brundtland, Bilderberger as well, heavyweight one there as well. Uh, a lot of things have happened in Sweden and Norway that is affecting the world in a massive scale. Like Grohallen Brundtland is one of the architects behind Agenda 21, which is exactly what is being played out in the world right now, mm. where, where Corona is part of the whole cover of, of this operation. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, I... It, for me to get into this case is not easy because you got the official story and then you got the story, what I believe is the truth, which is massive, massive, massive. What I can do is uh, I can go from the official story and then go straight into what I believe after 35 years looking into this, what actually happened, but it would blow your mind. Okay, let's do that. But let me just say to those who are sitting, uh, you know, leaned back and are not getting uh, the benefit of going on the whole ride where you kind of lay down the case step by step and, and convince them in that way that, look, spoiled brats, <laughs> go to his books or go to his documentaries if you want, you know, the whole... Uh, rationale and and his research behind it because if he's just going to share the conclusions with us it goes without saying that there's no time to substantiate everything if he's going to spend the time first uh, i think it's good yes that you tell us the mainstream version because yeah. i think most of my listeners doesn't even know who olaf palmer was the prime minister of sweden all right see you okay and then when you tell us your conclusions after all your research then it is with this disclaimer that if you want to, uh, you know, follow the story of how you reached it, we simply don't have time in a short no. show like this. So go to his books, go to his film. Okay, start the engines. <laughs> okay. No, so um, what I normally do is, uh, this is a very special case. It's the biggest murder mystery in the world. It's the biggest murder investigation in the world. It is the most expensive murder investigation in the world. It's cost more than two billion Swedish kroner. Wow. And they come absolutely nowhere with the whole thing. But uh, what I did was uh, after he was assassinated, I, I started seeing the exact same template being played out that I, I had found with the, uh, both the Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King and major, major assassinations globally. And it, I got very confused because when you see how the other ones are carried out and where the investigation, like I said before, is part of the crime to their own task is to cover the whole story up. That's the main uh, purpose of the investigation. It is totally rigged and, and set up so that we will not find out what actually happened. And when I started seeing that exact thing happening in Sweden, it was it was shocking for me because I thought, you know, I, I, I was born in Denmark, but I grew up in Sweden. And and I thought that Sweden was this white island in the world with no corruption, where you could trust the authorities, you could trust the yeah. government, the police was some, your friend. Uh, you know, this is what I, uh, until I was like 25, 30 almost, uh, this is my impression of the whole thing. And then this case got me down a rabbit hole that was just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> what? the hell hey could you just tell people when it was he was assassinated he was assassinated officially on the 28th of february 1986 mm. and the official story is that he was uh, 
this day he was so uh, you have to go back in time because Sweden was this country officially where there was no crimes more or less there were no violence it was uh, you know the his he was famous for going on his bicycle to work without bodyguards which was unheard of in the rest of the world and so on so yes, there but were, same in Norway and probably also Denmark exactly so mm. there was this innocence and and uh, interpretation of Scandinavia is that it could never happen there you know this would never mm. ever happen so when he was officially killed it was a trauma that was unheard of just like uh, in Norway the same type okay. of impact that just hit you on a soul level like oh my god and so um not long after he was assassinated, I thought for sure I can tr- we can trust the police. Of course, they will find the killer. It won't take long, and so on. And then, after a few months, after six months, I started seeing the exact same pattern of the other assassinations. The exact following this template that I had, I'd never seen it written down. I've written down the the different, because I saw it in multiple different cases, a very similar development. Mm. And so I I was very confused there for a while. And I thought, if what I'm seeing is correct, what the hell is happening in Sweden? Because then it cannot be just happening on on a local scale, because how would they be able to use the same methods? This must be, there must be some kind of connection Otherwise, it full, wouldn't follow these steps. And so I thought, if <clears throat> what I suspect is correct, then and I checked on the other cases and I thought, OK, um, bullet point number seven was whatever that was. I can't really remember it. So I said it had, Sweden had gone the first six ones. So I said, if this really is what I suspect, then this number seven should happen in Sweden as well. Took two weeks. Boom. There it came. Oh, it freaked me out. It was like somebody had pulled the rug under my feet because suddenly I felt I'm not living in the world of Aslingen anymore, you know, this innocent, uh, I'm in a country. Pippi Longstockings. Sorry? I'm saying Pippi Longstockings. Yes. Yeah, and Emily. People know who that is. If they don't know who Lindgren is, they know her. Yeah, but, but the whole... You know, this whole very beautiful, innocent saga of what I thought Sweden was Mm. just went down into this very dark rabbit hole that turned into a sewage. Mm. And uh, so what I did was I quit my job. I went up to Stockholm to be as close to this as possible to try and understand what happened. And so I joined up with a group of people that they went under the name of uh, uh, Privatsbanana, the private detective sort of, which was just ordinary concerned citizens that were very, very confused about what had happened in Sweden because they saw the abnormalities that that was starting to happen around this case. Mm. We're talking about now a year, a year and a half after that, after the alleged assassination. So what I did, I went up there and I befriended this group. I was very young. They were mostly old guys. But these were heavyweights, you know, former lawyers, police officers, security people, custom officers, uh, mm. you name it. I mean, not heavy, you know, not amateurs in any way or form. So I took it very seriously, you know, and and, I, and what I did was I tried to learn as much as possible for from each and every one of them. So I went home to 
the whole, each and once again, each and every one of them and sat for hours and hours because many of them had already collected like thousands of documents in different areas where they were specifically interested in. I mean, all of them had their own little area. So what I did was collect as much evidence as I could, uh, which was not a little. And uh, then also the bigger understanding I got, I, I really started to seeing that this, this is bizarre. This is very, very strange what's going on in Sweden. And so what I normally do when I present this case is I do about three hours where I go through all of the bizarre things that happened in the investigation. I mean, everything from that the, the coat that the, the prime minister's wife had on when she was officially shot at as well was not the same coat as she had on when she came to the to the hospital. The number, the times of uh, the whole timeline is totally messed up. The radio communication between the police, the ambulances, uh, the the emergency central, all of that totally messed up and cut up in pieces, destroyed, burned. Uh, the autopsy protocol, 50% heavily censored. And it took us eight years to even get the censored part of it, uh, get, got that out uh, officially. And the... Uh, I mean, nothing, nothing makes sense when you, once you start looking into it. And then the people that were in the investigation turns out to be involved with the people that have been accused of being part of the operation as well. Mm. So very, very strange to start with. And so what I do is I normally do about three hours when people are just sitting with their jaws in their lap, I tell you, because it's unbelievable the level of bizarre weirdness around this case where it, nothing matches up, nothing matches up. Mm -hmm. And then after three hours, when I've got the total credibility of the audience, where they've seen for themselves, because I do these very detailed PowerPoints where they can, I point things out and they can see with their own eyes, oh my God, mm -hmm. what is this? Mm -hmm. What the hell is this? And then I come with the conclusion I have after 35 years of what actually went down. And that is totally, um, I know if you, if, you, if you do not know this world, this will sound like an absolute tinfoil hat, a crazy individual that has uh, you know, lost his, uh, his mind. But I believe this is exactly what happened. So I'll tell you the official story first, and yeah. then I will give you what I believe that happened. Would that be okay? Yes. Please. So the official story, more or less, to this day is that Olaf Palme and his wife, Lisbeth, officially they were not in a, in a tricky situation in their life. There was no big uh, political conflicts going on. Absolutely not true. Uh, and uh, so this day they decided to go to the cinema. So they went to the cinema with their oldest son and his girlfriend uh, in central Stockholm. This day, they decided not to have any bodyguards. They went in, they watched a movie, they came out. And on the way to the movie, a, a normal, uh, a local drug addict named Christer Petson saw them, mistook them for his drug dealer, Sigurd again because he had the same kind of fur hat. So Christer Petson thought, I'm going to get the bastard because for some reason he, he thought he had been cheated by him or whatever. So he... Christopher Petson goes to the home of Sigurd and breaks in because he knows he had a, as a revolver a Smith and Wesson 345, 
357, sorry. And then he runs down uh, the street while Ola Palme is still at the cinema. That's not true. He's said to have been standing outside the cinema waiting. And then when the film ends, he runs down the street, uh, almost a kilometer down the street, not no, even knowing that that is the direction that they're going to walk because they might as well gone taking the subway home or a car or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But for some incredible reason, he knew exactly where they were going to walk. He stood around a corner without not even seeing them coming. And then when they walked past him, he stepped up behind them and fired one shot straight through the back of Ola Palme, killing him more or less instantly, and then fired a second shot at the, uh, the wife of the prime minister, where the bullet uh, just touched her back, you know, it went in through her coat and out through her coat, but without hurting her. And then he ran out off and up these very famous stairs now, and then he disappeared at the top of these stairs. That is the last floor he was seen. So that's the official story, that it was a local drug addict uh, who mistook him. He didn't even know that it was Ola Palma that he shot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's, yeah, but f fair enough, that could happen. I mean, you should never right. underestimate thing, the reality. Right. Sometimes. Hello? Into it. Hello? You're disappearing here. Hello? Can you hear me now? Yep, you're back. Okay, so... So you said sometimes reality and then you... No, but you should never jump to conclusions. It's like I, I never take steps forward. I always try to let the evidence lead me wherever. I'm not here to prove a point. I'm here mm. to try and find out what happened. Mm. And this case is like making, if you have a jigsaw puzzle but without an image on them and all the pieces are more or less the same shape. And then you, so what I had over the years is to put together this jigsaw puzzle, but with the picture side downwards. So I couldn't see what I was actually getting, the bigger picture I couldn't understand until I had such a big part of it made up that I could start turning it around. And then it was like, oh my God, once again, <laughs> oh my God, that is a but word that has yeah. yeah, but but uh, I just saw a mainstream documentary about the Palmer murder, and now it looks like more and more people in Sweden, finally, after over 20 years, are warming up. It's been 35 years, I guess. It has been. Are warming up to the fact that it wasn't Krista Patterson. So now that's not a kooky thing to claim anymore. And then they have been looking on into other stuff. Like there was this guy, I think he ended up as a police officer in America and he got killed. I forgot the details. No, no, no. And there was some Nazi links and, and yeah. The, no, the guy that was killed in the States, he was uh, one, the first guy that was accused of it, Victor Gunnarsson, who right. was uh, found with a double headshot in, in the US. This is just one of so many weird things around this. But what, what you will find when you start digging into it, that this was carried out, when you start listening to what the witnesses are talking about, where there were more than 200 observations of walkie-talkies in the area around wow. the assassination. I'm not saying there were 200 people with walkie-talkies. I'm saying yeah. 200 people saw yeah. people with walkie-talkies. But all of them, 100% of these people were dismissed as they were not reliable. They were they mistook the date. They were Their eyesight was not okay. There was all of that. 
And I mean, this was the way that evidence was treated or still is by by the this investigation, which also makes you go like, but what the hell? What what are you doing? He said he saw these eight different people saw the same individual on the same corner with a walkie talkie. You have to take that seriously. No, no. And so this is the type of thing that makes you sort of or made me go into this like uh, I couldn't stop because it was just like, what the what is going on? And in this country, something Mm. we need to find out because they're using this case for so many different measures to lock us down and lock us in. And this is also why my book is called Coup d'etat, which is a stats coup in slow motion. It went boom. But it didn't go like uh, you are in other countries, like in South America, where you have a military coup and it's overnight that you suddenly have a different uh, ruler at the throne. Here it was like, boom, and then slowly, 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 they turn page so that no one really noticed what actually happened. Mm. But this is what happened. There was a coup d'etat in Sweden uh, that started with the shots uh, where he was allegedly killed and has now turned Sweden into a totally different country than before the murder. It was a coup d'etat, a power overtake. And uh, so if you want to hear my conclusion after all of these years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> please. Which is mind-blowing, I tell you. And, okay. and peop- I've said this for, and I don't build this lightly, you know. I had people murdered around me. I had to emigrate twice because of these things, you know. So the, I put myself on the line. I really, really, really try to find out the truth. Yeah, I was wondering about that because you live in Asia, right? Yeah, I'm on Bali now. Bali. So uh, is that like for uh, security reasons? Is that part of the reason you live uh, there? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Gotcha. And that's also why we moved to Spain the first time. Really? Wow. Yes and yes. We lived 30 minutes from Gibraltar for many years. Spain. I mean, that's not a safe place. Nope. That's why we're on Bali now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I had two friends in this group uh, called Privatspanana that, that died very mysteriously. And the first uh, police that came on site, uh, Josta Söderström, Commissioner Josta Söderström, who was the first police officer on site at the assassination of Olaf Palme, and who later got his whole life and career destroyed because he was standing up for for the truth. Uh, he there was him that that uh, labeled both of these cases as murders. My two friends uh, that died here, mm. because, mm. and and also I had uh, a very scary visit as well. You know, where it's it's when you get into these dark waters, it gets yeah. unnervingly uncomfortable sometimes, and uh, yeah. it's very easy, especially especially before the internet it was very easy to end up dead you know hit and run whatever yeah it looks like the playbook now is more about uh deplatforming and discrediting mm. and uh, i mean they uh, they have blackmail files on most people they need to control and uh, they can easily dig up something on most people yeah but uh yeah it looks like the old school blood yeah. way is kind of is is not the first thing they go to anymore so no and the thing is with uh, sometimes i get this question so if what you say is true how come you're still alive <laughs> what can i say i don't know <laughs> but one thing i do know is that i live as 
far as I know, as transparent as possible. You know, whatever you ask me, whatever, if I have to, I will, I will tell you very uncomfortable sometimes, but at the same time, it does, it makes it very hard to blackmail somebody who does not have any secrets. Yeah. And, and also I'm not interested in money. I, I do, if you, if you gave me a million, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Do you know, that also is another one. So the way to get to me is through my family. And many times I've said, if I should suddenly go quiet, it's because my family has been threatened. Mm. So I've, I've many times tried to to take away the power from them. You know, if I'm in an interview where I'm just about to uh, unleash like some incredible information I uncovered, we go through. You know, I'm not mentally. Uh, I'm mentally fine. I've just had a checkup. My heart is fine. My, you know, everything. The car has just gone through MOT. The brakes have been checked. I'm not depressed. We make it as a joke. But it's to take away the power of of attacks. And should I get death threats? And so I go out straight on international radio saying, I've just received this threat. This is what they're trying to do. Yeah. They're trying to shut me down like this. The email came from there. Do you know, to take away the power from this whole thing. Mm. Clever. So anyway, anyway, what I'm going to tell you now, very few people have agreed with over the years. They think that I'm totally off my rooker. You know, that... Uh, I'm crazy that I'm trying to just put everything together and make it uh, fit. But this is, and I put my, my life, my word, my name on the line when it comes to this whole thing, because I truly believe that this is what happened. And now, the last few years, more and more people from a close serenity, serenity to all of Palma has stepped forward and confirmed more and more what I and other people are saying. Mm. So, all of Palma was a Trojan horse, I would very much suggest. He was, he came from military intelligence background. It was his first job. He came from a very rich right-wing family with connections into very, very bizarre areas. Many of them spies. Uh, he had uh, spy connections with Kim Burgess in England. His uncle was uh, in Nuremberg being tried for crimes against humanity. Wow. He had many different uh, different connections into IG Farben. He had... Wow! <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like he's connected to what we refer to as the Bormann Brotherhood. But go on. Yeah, he, he had... Hermann Göring was a friend that came to visit his family home in Stockholm when he was, uh, when he was younger. He was... Uh, Alan Dulles was one of the people that came to uh, also to Sweden. Alan Dulles, the chief of the CIA. Oh, my God. Yes, we know... My listeners know very well who Dulles is. Okay. Because he is a key player in... Uh, I mean, Dulles and Bormann cooperated at the end. But yeah. this is another story. Go on. Okay. So, so he comes from a very strange background very, and right-wing background. And then overnight, more or less... He it said that he went to the U.S. and he he was hitchhiking in the in the south. Then he saw the poverty down there, and he thought, "Oh my God, I need to become a social democrat." So he came home and totally changed. And then he was taken in under the wings of uh, uh, Swedish Prime Minister Torge Erlander. Uh, very, he was uh, Olaf Palme was very young at that time, and he came in sort of like a young rock star under the wings of Torge Lander, who was also a Bilderberger. Mm. And so people were very confused. How come this young guy who was right wing is suddenly now 
left. It doesn't make any sense, but th they forgot that. Mm -hmm. And from then, that day on, it was like uh, Olaf Palme took on this role, I would say, almost to be a, people, a person of the people. Yeah. And the more he became an, an internationally uh, known person, he, the way he became it was also, I would suggest, a psychological operation because his breakthrough was to stand up and walk side by side by <clears throat> the ambassador of uh, North Korea, no, sorry, of uh, Vietnam, mm. where he was standing up against the USA, which at that time in the 70s was unheard of. Nobody stood up against the big brother in the West. Yeah. He did. And this made headlines all over the world. And it was also that thing that opened the doors for him and with invitations into PLO in Palestine, the Nicaragua, the Sandinist uh, <clears throat> Cuba. He went to see Fidel Castro. And so, but at the same time, he was a Bilderberger. And so he did a lot of these, uh, you can read in memoirs of different politicians and so on, where for instance, he uh, he did um, some very famous talks where he was uh, so brutal in his critic against the U.S. And where in some of these memoirs, right after that TV interview, he went straight to the Wallenbergs, to other people also. He called them up, Henry Kissinger and others, and said, listen, guys, don't worry. It's all part of a plan. It's still, you know, the same modus operandum as usual. Don't worry about it. It's just... Uh, like this whole so it seems like it was a sale. yeah yeah people perceived him in the same way as they had like Dog Hamashol and Trigveli like yes. uh, social democratic uh, Scandinavians who dared to talk against the United States yeah and and that was the, I have no idea about all these things in his background that you're telling me and if he went to America and he came back and had gotten his mind straight I think what Kors did was rather <laughs> a visit to the CIA or something rather than uh, I mean everybody knows that's poverty I mean that's yeah, and everybody who has traveled have seen poverty so I don't know it sounds fishy the whole thing yeah I think so and before that, he was also involved in uh, this international student organizations in where he was traveling down during the Cold War on the Eastern Bloc side. And he even married a, a person. I mean, all of it stinks of espionage big time. Yep. And he was also involved in something called EBFN which was the information bureau in Sweden, which was secretly collecting information on the population, you know, the political uh, opinions of people, all of that was being part of, of, of being registered through a close friend of him, Bilir Elmir. So he was very closely interacting with people that had heavy, heavy roles in a totally different arena than we officially knew. And so he came in, and especially after he stood up against the U.S., then suddenly the doors opened, and he was welcomed to these different places. I believe as a Trojan horse, you know, where suddenly he they got access, the elite got access to these countries that they would not get access to otherwise. Yeah. You know, it's, it's revealed that they did the same with Håkon Lee, who was one of these big labor movement guys in Norway and there was always friction between Håkon Lee and Einar Gerardsen, the prime minister. Yes. And then it was revealed 
Hukun uh, Lee died, uh, I think, in the 90s or 2000s, and he came clean about, yeah, I worked for the CIA, I worked for the Pentagon. Of course, they hated that they did this. But uh, we had to do it, you know, because of communist, communist, communist. But everybody kind of suspected it all the time. So they had, they had to use puppets like that mm. in order to, because back then, we know it was this, uh, you know, it was the perceived Cold War between Soviet and America and countries that claimed to be in the middle who didn't want to partake, they weren't left alone at all, at all. Instead, there was a covert war there. Mm. But of course, there was a speculation that uh, Mossad was behind the Palme because he, he, I don't know what his real sympathies was, but he did, didn't he sympathize with the Palestines for real? What do you think? You tell me. <laughs> I I don't I don't believe that at all. Okay. Or I don't know. I mean, he was with the ANC in South Africa. He was with on Cuba. He was, I don't know. But the, yeah. you in this in this world that you get into, you got like agents or spies. You got double agents. You got triple agents. You got you yeah. get it. It's true. You get into a world of smoke and mirrors that is very very hard to mm. to get a grip on. And even the people that are involved, they don't know themselves many times. So. But what I'm trying to say is that Olaf Palme was not just the official version of himself. There was something very different going on. Yeah. And he was also, as part of the Bilderberg group, and the one that invited people to Sweden, he was the one that led the whole, uh, these two meetings that was uh, held in Sweden when he was taking part of it. I mean, that is just, um, no, just a tiny little player. He was a top one, and he was... Uh, Officially, this is the way they do it also. They, on a, on the open arena, they're arguing with each other, but behind the scenes, they're friends, mm. you know, just yeah. like, yeah. and very often you will see that uh, with, with the Bilderberg group and so on, you will have people from the unions uh, where you think they are fighting the government, but the, lead, the leaders of the unions are also part of these uh, organizations, you know, so it's a rigged game. And... Uh, so I think that uh, then Olaf Palme also, I mean, he came up uh, and became more and more internationally well-known. He was a peace negotiator in the uh, war between uh, Iran and uh, Iran and Iraq. And uh, so he was a high, high player at the same time as he was a peace negotiator from a neutral country called Sweden. He was also, before his death, he, uh, his alleged death, he uh, signed the biggest arms deals ever in Sweden with India, with Rajiv Gandhi. Mm. Eight billion Swedish krona. I mean, that was unheard of. Mm. And by the way, you know, to be a, a, a neutral country and then have one of the world's most advanced weapon technology factories, Bufos, in Sweden. I mean, come on, what kind of double standards are that? <laughs> stink, stink, stinks. Yeah. Anyway, so... When you look into Olaf Palme and you also see all, there was a lot of scandals around him. So with brothels and prostitutes and arms deals and all of these things that he was officially against. So now here comes what I will say and I'll tell you now and then the future will see if I'm correct or not. But this is what I believe happened. Olaf Palme was part of the elite. He was a Trojan horse used to 
infiltrate these uh, these poor countries and so on. But at the same time, he was a, a player. He was a woman's man, or or not only women, but all, he, it seems very much so that he was bisexual. Uh, he was involved with uh, quite a few high-level people, uh, male people. He was traveling around. And one time in Norway, of all places, he was. Uh, there was this scandal that almost erupted where he was uh, so drunk and he had two prostitutes up on his uh, <laughs> uh, hotel room in Oslo. And they left with his pants and his wallet. <laughs> but it turned out that these prostitutes were male prostitutes. Right. And this was a massive big scandal that they tried to shut down. Uh, it was publicized in Norway, but they managed to stop it so that it didn't uh, really go in the mainstream media in Sweden. Right. But anyway, so there's quite a few. Um, he, he was also uh, very much into women. And uh, he had a love affair with Shirley MacLaine. Whoa. He also had, uh, he has a child with Emma Rothschild, Jeez. which is once again, the Rothschilds is one of the big ones. She has a, <clears throat> she has a, an apartment just a few hundred meters from there, the Palmas in uh, the old city of, um, of Stockholm. And to this very day, if you go in and check the name of the, youngest son of Olaf Palme, Matthias Palme, he is he is uh, signed on the address of Emma Rothschild in S Stockholm. He lives in her apartment. Hmm. So he was also uh, involved with prostitutes <clears throat> and uh, he was all, there was this big scandal called the uh, Bodel Hermann, the brothel scandal, where he was one of several hundreds of people that were named by this uh, woman who had this brothel where they had the prostitutes and underage and and so on <clears throat> and so a massive big scandal almost uh, erupted in sweden but it was stopped yeah and notwithstanding that in norway and sweden prostitution is was and is outlawed and brothels for sure yeah it's a smackdown on i mean if it was in uh, the netherlands the situation would the scandal would just be that he was unfaithful. You know, that's that's called a Monday in France, right? Yeah. But here is actually a crime. Yeah, no. <laughs> you can be arrested. You you will get arrested. Yeah, and this uh, this list of, of people that had uh, been to this brothel where Palmer's name was Palmer's name was one of them. <clears throat> he uh, this uh, list was uh, given to the chief of the secret police. And exactly, because that's the blackmail file. Exactly. Uh, now we have the internet, but back then that's, you know, the horny trap. Exactly. Perfect way to control them. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then officially this list disappeared <laughs> from his safe. But I tell you, it did not disappear at all. It was just used there to... This is also when, when things like Utøya or, or big assassinations happen, you have like one conspiracy that ha of what happened, boom. And then it's almost like there's a secondary conspiracy of silence yeah. that just follows. It's the official story or silence. And the silence is very often caused by these type of, of blackmail lists or whatever they use to control people with. Yeah. So... Um, he was also quite a party individual. And here comes what I believe happened. In the year 1982, he was diagnosed with a, a virus that nobody understood what, what it was. And so the last few years of his life, he was going to uh, secretly going to different uh, institutions. Oh, my God. Don't tell me he had AIDS. 
There you go. Oh my there god. You go. <laughs> that early. Yeah. That early. Yeah, now. because the wow. th the thing was that in those days, in 1985, uh, Rock Hudson was the first yeah. celebrity that stepped forward and saying, "I've got AIDS," yeah. and at that time, it was called the Gay Plague. Yeah. The whole world was terrified, just like with Corona. It's a very sim similar psychological operation with the with the AIDS thing that happened. Where you had the whole world in absolute panic mode, and it was all connected with gay sex. That was the to start with. Yeah. This whole thing with blood transfusions that came later, mm. but at that time it was AIDS, 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 gay, the gay plague. So in '82 he was starting. He he didn't know. They didn't know what was going on, <clears throat> and uh, one of the places he went to was a friend of his. Um, uh, Rausing, Hans Rausing, who had Tetra Pak. Uh, these are the ones, a uh, multi-billionaire family that made uh, the uh, milk cartons and stuff. Um, do you know Tetra Pak? No. Okay, but they also had a very advanced laboratory. Well, you all, I would tell you, more or less all the mel milk cartridges uh, or cartons that you're using or for juice or whatever is Tetra Pak. Mm. So you're using it yourself. But anyway, they had a very advanced laboratory uh, because they had to make absolutely sure that uh, for milk and other products that there were no bacteria, then no virus and whatever. So <clears throat> Olaf Palme went, uh, went and they tried in his laboratories as well. And they were finding out that there's this weird, bizarre thing. We don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is, but you, you, you have something that is, uh, that seems very dangerous and it's affecting you in a very destructive way, but we don't know what it is. So the last few years, they were trying in many different ways to find out. And then the world was hit with the AIDS virus, uh, whatever that was. I would say very much uh, man-made in a in a, uh, a Lab. laboratory, military laboratory yeah. under the <clears throat> under the he heading of uh, a doctor called Robert Gallo was the guy who invented and uh, got the whole thing going with was behind the AIDS ep epidemic. But anyway, but hang on, and this is of course a little side track. But do you regard? Uh, HIV and AIDS as the same? No, absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. I'm not an expert in this area, so you should speak to any, someone else. I mean, yeah. the HIV virus has never been isolated, nor has the corona one. But so, and the vi whole virus scene is a very uh, sensitive area at the moment because there's a lot of different opinions about what viruses or exosomes really are. Yeah if they can do what they are told, we are being told that they can. And there's a lot coming forward now that says that we are being taken for a ride here yeah, and yeah. that uh, the whole bacteria virus scenario that uh, so much of modern medicine is built upon is based on the Rockefeller Foundation's way of seeing uh, medical or dis-ease big business. Mm. So, but AIDS is the is sort of like an umbrella uh, expression of a multitude of horrible horrible effects on the human body <clears throat> and these these hiv uh, test diagnosis uh, things just like the pcr test even carrie mullins that came up with the pcr test and was given the nobel uh, prize for it 
he was also involved with the HIV and very, very confused with the diagnostics back then because he said the PCR cannot be used to diagnose a single uh, uh, disease mm. just like uh, corona. It cannot be used. To, and then Karen Marlins very conveniently died just before the corona was unleashed in 2019 here. Mm. So anyway, so what AIDS really is and what AIDS, HIV really is we're still trying to f understand what that is but i would say these are more like labels of different military operations psychological warfare on humanity and and these uh, it's almost like just the heading of an operation that has multiple layers so aids if you have AIDS in one country or if you diagnosed HIV in Uganda, for instance, you can come to Sweden and you can be positive or you're negative in that country. And you'd, it's it's mm. totally random, just like with the corona. Mm. So anyway, he was sick with something. And <clears throat> when Rock Hudson and this whole thing erupted in the world, it was a massive, massive scandal. And nobody wanted to be connected with it on an official level, you know, because they would just, uh, and officially if you were not even homosexual. So because of the situation around Ola Palma, also the Social Democratic Party was going down big time. This was a unique party or power structure. They had been at the power seat for more than 40 years which is uh, unheard of in the rest of the world. Mm. And the last few years, they had become very, very rocky. And this was also at a part where where uh, the Ola Palma was really uh, hoping to get become the uh, secretary general secretary general of of the uh, United Nations. That was his aim. And then, boom, this whole thing hit. So with AIDS or what is claimed to be that disease, one of the things is that you will see the disease in the face of the person. You you cannot hide it because they, they get eaten alive from the inside. Mm. So because of him being involved, wherever he got that virus or what it was uh, that is labeled HIV, how he got it, if it was a, one of these elite parties, uh, if it was gay sex, if it was... Uh, an attack on him, I don't know. But in 1985, uh, in the fall of 1985, it was very close to when one of his uh, close associates, Ebbe Carlson, uh, stepped forward and said, I've got uh, AIDS. The several, quite a few of the people around the center of this murder investigation or this murder case have died of AIDS. I want to say uh, have died of AIDS. And so... Olaf Palme, this is super, this, at this point, super, super, super secret. Yeah. So they had a series of crisis meetings, not only in Sweden, but also in, I think it was in Corsica in, in Italy, up in Eppelbo uh, in northwest of Sweden, and so on, where they were having these meetings, like, what the hell are we going to do? This disease, it's just going to be a matter of time before it shows because he was getting worse and worse. Mm. So what are we going to do? How, how are we going to do it? Because if this leaks out that you have had gay sex and you have AIDS, it will destroy the social party. It will destroy the legacy of everything you worked for. It can have immense implications on so many different levels, not mm. only for your family, but for 
internal things, you know, the five continent agreements, the anti-nuclear power. If your, your name that is so highly respected suddenly is pulled down in the dirt because of this, mm. it could have international complications. So what are we going to do? I think I see a picture emerging here. Mm. And I'll let you say it, but it, it smells like it's more of uh, he went rogue, not in a political way, <laughs> in a lifestyle way. And he wasn't the asset anymore. That And if you look at pictures of him at his last days, okay, he was older, but he didn't look that healthy, honestly. He kind of looked sickly when you, yeah. you know, come to think of it. It may be psychological projection, but I mean, that's my impression. Yeah. Okay, so a series of, of super secret meetings. There were very few people at these meetings. There was five to eight people. Mm. Uh, I identified most of them, if not all. Mm. And one of them was his. Um, uh, one of them was the chief of the secret police, Hans Holmer, who was later the uh, main murder investigator, who had never led a murder investigation ever, yeah. but who came in yeah. the day after the investigation and just took over, boom, like that. Yeah. Then uh, you had uh, Olaf Palme himself. Then you had his friend Harry Schein, uh, who is uh, very much into the film industry, very skilled in the film industry, and a close friend of uh, Olaf Palme. Then you had a friend who I, I almost want to call him uh, James Bond, because he was a Swedish uh, variation of James Bond. His name was Carl Gustav Östling. Uh, a uh, right-wing military uh, police, mm. very skilled police, very hard man, also gay. He was uh, the guy who selected the gun for the Swedish police uh, corps. Uh, you know, he was on that level, a uh, gun expert. Uh, and then you, you had uh, the main character at these meetings, the most important one, was the advisor of Olof Palme and also an ambassador, Swedish ambassador down in Paris. His name was Karl Liedbom. And Karl Liedbom was a fixer. It was, he was sort of like officially an advisor, but his job was to sort things out. If there was a problem, fix it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Very brutal individual, very brutal. And anyway... So during these meetings, there was panic mode because what are we going to do? We're about to go down here. Then Carl Liedboom came up with the following idea. He said, this guy that you really admire, JFK, what happened when he died? Mm -hmm. Oh, the second the bullet entered his head, his name became a legend. Mm -hmm. His name turned into like this flu fluorescent uh, like ne uh, neon sign with white wings that could never be criticized or touched or whatever. Mm. How about you got two options? Either you step forward, you tell the official story, you tell the truth, you say, okay, guys, I'm very sorry. I had gay sex. I've been with men, uh, underage kids. I've been having multiple affairs with women around that. I've been involved with this. I've been involved with that. I'm part of the illegal uh, drugs trading and arms trading and all of the, mm. you know, mm. imagine how that would have it and the impact on his family. Option two, how, what about if we stage mm. an assassination? We stage an assassination and it's instead of what happens is instead of you getting killed, we have a double that officially gets shot. Mm. There are two ambulances. One takes the double to the hospital where he officially dies. The other one brings you to the airport where you are taken down in a private jet to the south of Europe 
where you are then being hidden in, you know, moved around between castles of the elite, where you're being given the absolute best treatment ever, where your mistresses and your family can come and visit you, you will live a life in, a, in luxury, whatever time you got left, if we can find a cure, if we cannot find, you will have the best possible life ever, and your name will be forever in neon lights, you will become a legend, and uh, everything will stay intact. Mm. What do you choose? Mm. And so it's not difficult to understand why option two was chosen. If and they're martyring him, are you saying that they let him in on that plan? Yeah. Wow. But he was not supposed, he was not to get killed. A double was going to get oh. killed. Okay. He was there was two ambulances. He was to be taken out with a private with an ambulance and then a private jet to the south of Europe. Right. Where his he, yeah. And then the whole official setup with the murder would continue in Sweden but with a double. Okay. I see. So what happened after that was that once the decision was taken, the info, the family was informed also at a, uh, a meeting in a private little hut up in near the actually near the uh, the Norwegian border in Eppelbo and Dalarna, where I mean I don't think the family was very fond of of this whole thing because it meant that they had to live the the rest of their life living a lie. Mm. But what could they do? We're talking about international massive politics, blah, blah, blah. But only a handful of people was informed about this. And it was so important that the secret never would leak out. Hmm. Okay, because that could cause incredible implications. So anyway, from that day on, once Olaf Palmer decided, yes, this is what I'm going to do, his main focus was to create the legacy, the legend so from that point on, and you can read that in many memoirs of, of people that were around him, they said suddenly he was like so bizarre. He was so emotional. He was crying sometimes. He was other times he was sitting playing his flute. He was not engaged at all in politics. He said, I don't care. Do whatever you want. You decide. I don't care. He was uh, also seen many times very late at the Rosenborg, the, the government uh, uh, buildings. I think he was there destroying documents, you know, all the bad stuff he had been involved in, mm. cleaning up, cleaning up, cleaning up, you know. Uh, he had also a special uh, little team that was helping him do that as well, called Sapo, not Seppo. Uh, who is, it's been uh, confirmed now afterwards that they were cleaning up, you know, document files and, and um, libraries and everything where, where they could find tracks of what would not serve as part of the, the legend. But <clears throat> it was a very close, tight uh, operation. But what happened also was that suddenly he started working against the elite that he used to be part of. So he stopped like uh, big, big gunpowder transports to uh, uh, illegal gun transports that were going through the former Eastern Bloc, uh, East Germany, but to be going towards the war Iran-Iraq. He stopped that, which was like, what the hell? You know, mm -hmm. so the elite were like, what's going on with this guy? He was making all kinds of decisions. Earlier on, he had done with the North Sea oil, giving up the Swedish rights, giving it to you, uh, all kinds of things where he was like, where's his loyalty? And then the, you had the whole thing about the, 
nuclear free uh, zone mm -hmm. uh, you know that he was trying to force through meaning that suddenly that would make uh, uh, you know the US atomic submarines uh, illegal in the in the Baltic Sea all of the it was causing mayhem around him you know because he was suddenly going against his former employers and nobody understood why yeah but did they end up actually adhering to that plan or did they double cross him and actually take him out okay and this is where i need to continue <laughs> yeah. so so what happened was that uh, while he was spending these his, the last uh, four or five months of his life preparing for the legend the people around him nobody understood what was going on they they felt my god he's got mentally ill he's gone there's he nobody understood and this was causing massive panic among the elites so there was a series of crisis meeting in wiltshire in england where people from nato where people from stay behind movements like gladio movements yeah. also some big um, businessmen on a very high level you had all kinds of people from intelligence agencies ca mossad these people work uh, side by side many times mi6 was there you had the uh the chief of the uh, Norwegian stay behind movement was also at these meetings. You had the, um, what do you call it? The chief of in command of the Swedish military was also there in at these meetings. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Here we're starting to see ties to the Bormann Brotherhood because the Operation Gladio Stay Behind is an heritage that we have focused on in other shows too. From it's it's a part of the NATO, Bilderberg, EU, the original, you know, the Nazi factions mm. in these groups connected to the CIA factions. So this is the Bormann Dulles um, successors, if you like, because obviously we were talking in the eighties, both Bormann and Dulles is out of the picture, but it's the same crowd, it's the same network of yeah, maybe. megalomaniac psychopaths who think they not just have the ability and talent, but even the right to steer the world in terms of geopolitics and and power. Exactly. So this is very interesting. Go on. Exactly like you say, the, the Gladio is NATO's ghost army, but NATO is a creation of these um, power structures. So it, it's like the more you start digging into these things, you will see that so, so, so often it's the same force behind it. It just comes out in different levels, different tools on a street level, mm. the way they, they deal with the problem. Mm. Anyway, so there was uh, these series of uh, meetings in uh, in Wiltshire, England, and uh, I believe that it was in the mansion of Eric Penzer, who is the owner of Bufosh, who, who was the owner of Bufosh, and it went under the, the name of Yggdrasil, which is the tree of life in the Nordic uh, former thing, and the whole thing went also went under the name of Operation Tree, also because Palmer's name was Palm, many American ah. people or English-speaking people, they don't say all of Palme, they say all of Palm, right. so... Anyway, at these meetings in Wiltshire, there was a massive concern about 
what was going on here. And I have documents from these meetings, top cosmic top secret uh, documents uh, from these meetings that have leaked out. And what was what was made there was uh, there was a decision made to take him out before he could he caused more chaos because nobody understood what was going on. Okay, you know um, this uh, false flag expert. Oh, what's his name again? Uh, a scholar from America. Okay. Uh, he was one of the first to point to nine eleven and stuff. Uh, he was he was a lot on Alex Jones' show. Just blanking on his name now. Ah, oh, very famous. That's so. Um, doctor. I mean, he's Mr. False Flag guy. Okay. But anyway, I'll probably remember his name uh, as we go. But he pointed out that you you talked about patterns earlier. And uh, he's very good at that too. And he says one of the main pattern is to hijack. It's to have one operation in play and then hijack that operation for the real thing. Like, for example, that is so true. Yeah. in 9-11 where they had, uh, <laughs> they had games, military games the same day where they were doing this scenario. Mm. And, and so we often see that thing. And here, then, as I understand you so far in your narration, they originally had a plan which he was in on to retire him dramatically, making him a martyr. And now they had secret meetings behind his back even and going to hijack that plan and actually make it real. Am I right in, in following you so far? No, you're not right. Okay, let's hear it. What happened was that there was, yeah, because yes, there was one plan to make a martyr of him. If we call that the uh, Olaf Palmer plan, mm -hmm. okay, where he is totally involved and they, the people involved here have no idea or they, it's a very, very closed circuit you know that no nobody can know about it it's only a handful of people around that whole thing mm. okay so that's plan a like the fake murder yeah then because of his behavior or Palmer's behavior to create the legend then he caused a lot of chaos so that there was a series of crisis meeting in wiltshire england with nato and all of these uh, forces involved yes where they decide they didn't know about the fake murder planning oh. at all. So they decided we need to take him out. We need to take him out before he destroyed the whole thing. I mean, who knows what he's going to do next? Right. So NATO, if we call that NATO, mm -hmm. so we got the fake planet plan, fake murder and plan NATO. Okay. So yeah. NATO, NATO sends in a hit team to Sweden. But before that, uh, a contract has been sent out by Palmer and his associates because they needed real killers on location right. to carry out what they thought was a real assassination mm -hmm. because if Palmer and his team was using people that they trusted mm. and local people then for someone like myself I could have figured that out in a few years you know and every and put all the ties together pointing at them mm. so what they had to do was put the contract out there on himself he put the contract on himself and the whole idea was to bring in a team of assassins from outside believing that it was the real thing because they had to believe that it was the real thing otherwise there would be a big big risk of blackmail of of um, you know it it can sure. totally back backfire absolutely so but the idea was that 
the guy that I called James Bond before, uh, the right-wing uh, police officer called Carl Gustav Östling, his task was to supply them with weapons, supply them with vehicles, uh, places to live, food, all of these things. And on the day of the operation, when they got a green light, exchange the ammunition for blanks. Wow, right. For, for blanks. Yeah. That was his task. Mm. So that the assassins would think that they killed him. Mm. Even the assassins would think that they killed him. So anyway, the the fake Yeah, but ha- hang on, weren't they to use a double that they were gonna kill? Wasn't that the plan, eh? Anyone who knows about this plan could become a problem because if you know, if you were an assassin and you faked a murder, yeah. then this person could just go into hiding and say, listen, I want $5 billion or I'll tell the international press. That- yeah, I know, I know. But what, what I'm asking is, wasn't it plan A that they were going to use a double of Palma and actually yes. kill the double? No. Oh, they okay. were actually... The, I'm, I'm telling you, this is why I normally don't do shows like this because I need like five, six hours. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's complicated. It's very complicated. But let me get back here. So yeah. all the the contract was sent down to a colonel in South Africa. His name was Craig Williamson. Mm-hmm. He had been in Stockholm many times, and he went under the name of Super Spy. Craig Williamson. He was. Uh, he had infiltrated uh, the uh, social, uh, social Democrat Party years before, gone all the way up, so that he was part of writing speeches to all of Parliament's nearest associates. Mm. Then, just before he was exposed, he managed to get back down to South Africa and became quite a legend down there. You know, in the fight against ANC and so on. Mm. But very brutal individual, and he was. There, there was him they chose to do to collect this team of assassins, but he didn't know that all of that this was a rigged assassination mm. either. Mm. So he he had he collected a team of assassins down uh, north, west of Johannesburg at a little farm called Daisy Farm, where they for three months were re- rehearsing this assassination, and then these people were brought in uh, by plane by train. Uh, and by car from different European countries. They were flown out from Cape Town, uh, sorry, Johannesburg to, with Luxair to Luxembourg. And then from there, they spread out and came into Sweden in different ways. So that's the team of the fake murder, believing that's a real murder. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were tracking uh, the steps of the prime minister for about three weeks before the assassination. They were very, they were, uh, you know, in seen in the streets with uh, walkie-talkies and so on outside where Ola Palmer was living, outside where he was working, where he was uh, the Social Democrat headquarters, the RBF Hughes in central Stockholm. These people were observed because what they were doing, they was they was finding the perfect place to do the hit. Okay. Mm. And they were working together with this right wing police officer I call James Bond and his uh, associates, which were also right wing police officers, very hard Nazi, uh, well disciplined Swedish police officers that went under the name of the Baseball League. Hmm. Anyway, so back to the NATO team. So the NATO team sent in a, a hit team to do the exact same thing. And once they got on location, starting to track the the steps of where Ola Palma was moving around, they discovered, oh, my God, there's already a team here. What the hell is this? Right. So they went back to Wiltshire saying, we don't know what's going on, but there's all already a hit team 
do no targeting him. Yeah. So what NATO decided was that's wonderful. Let's just do like, you know, stealth the whole thing so that we are right behind them. Yeah. The first hit team doesn't even know that we are there. But yeah. what we'll do is that once they go active and they kill Olopan. We make sure that the job is done mm. and then we point everything at them. We, we sabotage their operation so that the, it creates massive chaos around them. We make sure that he's dead and so nobody will find any tracks going in our direction. Mm. So suddenly... Uh, hang on, if that had happened, it would have been much better than pinning it on Krista Patterson, if you see what I mean. Because at least we could still claim that, look... It is a conspiracy. Yeah. But this Christa Pettersson came in two and a half years after the assassination, after they tried in panic mode. Mm. They they tried everything. Ola Palme came in years later. Anyway, so to get back to the assassination. Yeah. So what happened on the day of... So suddenly you have two teams, one one target. I mean, Ola Palme himself is only aware of the fake team. Mm. The fake team believes that they're going to carry out a real assassination, but the ammunition will be exchanged by Mr. James Bond, okay? Mm. The the NATO team are only there to make sure that he dies and sabotage also for for the first team so that nothing can be tracked and there will be a total uh, pointing away from anything that has to do with the NATO team and all of these things. So two teams on location and uh, but but the NATO team didn't know about this fake assassination. They thought there's a real team of assassins. Mm. Can you see it's multi-layered yeah. of, of strange things. Mm. So anyway, on the day when Olaf Palme is uh, uh, supposed to die, they've decided to place the hit outside the headquarters of Stay Behind in Stockholm, which is the Skandiahus, which wow. is exactly where he was officially killed. He had meetings there with Ambassador William Colby, who was later the director of the CIA, yeah. and Torge Landano. In that building, that was for years the headquarters of Swedish Stay Behind. That was... Uh, that building, it was an insurance company called Scandia that was created by uh, Olaf Palme's grandfather, okay? Mm -hmm. and But he created it as a company called Tule, Tule, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure that you will react now because you got the Tule Gesellschaft. Yeah. Yeah, you got the Tule spy base on Greenland mm -hmm. and then Tule Hills. But after the the name became sort of associated with these so officially negative things they changed the name into scandia ah. but Scan scandia and scandia i would say is the front cover for uh, a lot a lot of of uh, black ops military operations the financing through and the and also the <clears throat> the categorizing of the population the spying of the population as well because what better the insurance companies are really evil i tell you because what they do is they get you to tell them about everything you have of value in your life where is it it's in my safe. Where's my jewelry? Where's this? Where's that? For your protection so that should something be stolen. But if you connect that with intelligence agencies, it makes a perfect match. Mm. And underneath that building is was the biggest uh, computer um, service station in the world, in Northern Europe. 
1961. Hmm. It, it's a massive, massive thing underneath that building. Why on earth would a local Swedish uh, insurance company have that? You know, it's connected to Gladio. It's connected to the intelligence agents. It's connected to so many different ways, yeah. things. Anyway, so the location was picked by Palme and his team that this is where I'm going to die because what we're going to do is right before the shots are fired, there's going to be an exchange of Olo Palma and his wife with a double and a double wife. Hmm. So that the last 50 feet, 50 meters will be the double, not Olo Palma. Hmm. Can you see why I need time <laughs> to get into it? Because there's so many details. But yeah. I, just to make it, make it quick, yeah. what happened was that the day of the assassination, James Bond, the guy that was supposed to exchange the ammunition, suddenly got a burst, uh, uh, what do you call it, blintarm, um, what is that, the pandemic. Oh, appendix. Appendix, yeah. yeah. His appendix burst. Can you believe it? I mean, I call it that God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> Divine providence, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what happened was he was taken in urgently and operated on. He wakes up. And and more or less on the operation table saying, what date is it? What date is it? What, what time is it? And they say, well, it's the 28th of February. It's this and that. And he's, he jumps out of the bed, still bleeding, and says, I need to go. I need to go. Because his job was to get there in time yeah, yeah. and exchange the ammunition, which he failed with. He didn't manage to get there in time. Wow. So <clears throat> on the, time, the day of the assassination, Ola Palme went to the cinema. The last four calls he made before he that day, before he went, was all to Bilderbergers. It was Sven Asplin, one of the creators of Stay Behind in Sweden, Emma Rothschild, uh, Björn Rosengren was uh, another Bilderberger that he met at the cinema. And the last one, I can't really remember right now. But anyway, uh. the, all of them were connected to the Bilderberg group. And then they go there, and once they're in the cinema, that both teams are activated without, I mean, the, the fake team doesn't know that the, the NATO team is on location. Mm. This is also the perfect opportunity for a hit team to get in location because then you got like one and a half hour where the victim, the target, is still in one location. He's not moving. So they did that on purpose, making absolutely sure that everything would work the way they wanted it. Mm. And so... Uh, after the cinema, Ola Palma and his wife comes out, they start walking and they walk towards the, where he's going to be hit. When they, they cross the street and they, they're followed by uh, walkie-talkie men, they're alternative shooters, there's three escape cars. All of these things are in position here. And one of the killers, the guy that took him out, was an, an assassin by then, he, he went under, under the name of, he had the code name in this operation, Abdul Qasem. Anyway. Uh, hang so, on, hang on. That didn't come clearly true. What was it? This was not his real name, no? but his code name for this operation, Abdul Qasem, mm -hmm. was, was his name. They all had code names in this. Nobody knew their, their real identities. Right, right. But it was a team. It was a big team with multiple escaped cars, multiple. The whole shebang was set up, you know. Mm. Anyway. What they were not aware of that when the Palme uh, couple came and came to the entrance. Okay, you're disappearing. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me now? There, you're back. Okay. 
Okay, so when so they the, came to the entrance. That's the last thing we heard. Yeah, they came to the entrance, and this is about fifty meters before uh, where the the assassin is standing, waiting on uh, behind the corner of the building, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a triangular, what do you call it, like poster uh, structure there, a triangular one with posters on three sides, which would would also made a perfect place for a swap because then you you can only see one side of these three at the same time so you had the fake couple palmer coming walking towards that and the the real couple palmer came from the other direction and then they met at this triangular poster thing where there was an exchange made and the real couple were brought into the scandia building then taken out on the backside in a car and then driven to um, an airport where all of palmer was later picked up by a private jet that was borrowed from the French government and then flown down to south uh, south of France together with his advisor called Lee Boom and his lover and somebody strongly connected to Gladio called Ebbe Carlson. I'm sorry, that's... But not his wife. Not his wife. His wife was... Uh, jumped into the ambulance and then came to to uh, the hospital. She had to stay. No. Anyway, so there was an exchange made and then the doubles went and took the last few steps to what the double had been informed was just a film set, you know, that they were doing this uh, mm-hmm. uh, film um, drill. It was actually called a drill. Mm-hmm. So he was walking fine. He he had this blood thing, uh, you know, a blood bag on his yeah. uh, stomach. Everything was mm-hmm. prepared. He was not nervous at all with, with his wife as well. So they walked up and the, then... The shooter comes up behind him with a, what is said to be a 357 Magnum and fires one shot straight into the back of him. But because James Bond had not got there in time, <laughs> he was actually killed right there on site. Oh, my God. But before he fell, there was a su- sniper from the NATO team on the other side of Sveavegen. Uh-huh. On one of the rooftops up there, they had snipers in, surrounding the whole area. So at the very same time, more or less, when he was shot from behind, he was also shot from the front with a fine caliber high-speed uh, bullet. So he was penetrated by two shots, one from the back, one from the front, more or less at the same time. Hmm. Boom, stone dead. And that means that the NATO, the Plan B assassination, hadn't registered despite their surveillance that he had switched they managed to do that under the radar yeah yeah mm. absolutely because this was uh, it was late at night mm. it was after it was almost uh, midnight it was dark it was in february the lights were was not working properly over the in the area mm. they did not see the swap absolutely not because they were dressed uh, identically, mm. you know, and with this triangular thing, they could only see from one angle. Yeah. So it was a perfect swap. And also the fake, t- the, the Olaf Palme himself and doing the swap, they weren't aware of that there were snipers on the other side of the no. of the street. Absolutely no, no, no. But so uh, to make a long, long story <laughs> short yeah. was that Olaf Palme was taken out uh, by um, a private jet that was borrowed by from one of his friends in the elite and flown down. Uh, it was a glam jet flown down to the south of, of uh, uh, France, south of, of Europe, uh, somewhere n- uh, near, um, doesn't matter, the south of Europe. And at the same time, the fake team 
thought that the assassins, they thought that they had done a good job. There was a dead body on the street. They thought that was the, the, the dead prime minister. They took off. The police came on location. All of the police that came were of the fake team, except for my friend Justa Söderström, uh, who was uh, the, the first commissioner on site there. But all of the rest ones was part of the fake uh, assassination, knowing that this was not real. They, at the same time, uh, when the body was then loaded into the ambulance and taken towards uh, the hospital, they were also part of the staged assassination, the, the fake one. Mm. But what they discovered was, instead of somebody sitting up and saying, well, that went well, they suddenly had a body with two bullet holes in, mm. one from the back, one from the front. Mm. And so absolute panic mode erupted, and the, the ambulance was stopped for some six minutes on the way to hospital. They later said that the reason for that was because these ambulance drivers couldn't find the hospital <laughs> that they drive to every single day a yeah. hundred times. Right. So in the ambulance, they were ordered to cut open the body of this one. So... Uh, to get rid of, I believe, to get rid of the, the the bullet from the front, because when Olaf Palmer officially arrived to the hospital, and uh, I have this from one of the nurses that was were working there, she said, and it's also in the papers, that he had a se 11 centimeter long uh, fresh cut in his rib cage mm -hmm. uh, that had just been opened up and stitched together. This has never been explained. Also, uh, in the ambulance, they said uh, he was hit by with two shots. Uh, the, also, the nurse on at the hospital said, I didn't think he was this tall. She sort of reacted that he was so tall. Mm. The guy on, yeah, but because it was not him. Mm. It was not him. Mm -hmm. And so, but what happened during that night was instead of this being an easy uh, shot, closed case, you know, where the whole thing had been a staged uh, assassination with a double that could easily get, be getting rid of with a patsy that I'm going to name soon that was arrested right away. They could have, the whole idea was that this case would have been closed and sorted out by the early morning hours. Instead, they suddenly end up with a body, a dead body with two bullet holes where they have no idea where the second bullet came from. Mm. Can you imagine the panic? You are in a situation where you are doing... They didn't even expect the one in the back. No, of course, because he couldn't make it in time. Maybe he reported, I'm not sure. Mm. But since this was a double, I don't think that was such a big problem. It was no. just, okay, great, we've got a dead body. But what about the second bullet? Where did it come from? Because then who knows what we've been doing? Mm. and. The first uh, murder investigator that was part of the whole assassination, <clears throat> he said at one time, just a few months after the murder at a press conference, he said, if the real truth ever comes out, it will shake Sweden in, in its foundations. It will shake Sweden in its foundations. And <clears throat> the ambassador and, and advisor called Lee Boom, he said at a, at a at a big dinner party where Nelson Mandela was and, and also the wife of Ola Palme, or the widow, mm. the alleged widow, mm. he said, the best thing for everyone involved is that the real truth never gets out. How can you say something like that if yeah. you don't know the real truth? Mm. And how could the investigator say, the, if the real truth comes out, it will shake Sweden in its foundations? Mm. How can you say that if you don't know? Mm. And would 
like a drug addict shooting the prime minister, making a mistake, would that shake the nation? I don't think so. Mm. If CIA had done it, would that shake the foundation? Mm. If the KGB, would that shake the foundation of the nation? It wouldn't. Yes. So, <clears throat> and But this has caused a 35-year nightmare for the forces involved, right. trying to divert the attention away from when, what went really, really, really bad that night. Right, right. Uh, Stieg Angström was called a Scandia man. Yeah, he worked at Scandia. And uh, he was absolutely innocent to this whole thing. Oh. But he might have been the guy that opened the door at the entrance. Because also the thing was with, with Stieg Engström was that he was a big mouth. He was, he was talking too much. And he was too fond of being in the spotlight. And so he was, uh, he was saying things, and Hans Holmier, the first investigator, he was trying to shut him down. Who, he called him in his book, he said he was like an elephant in a crystal shop. <laughs> you know, like he was moving around, doing stuff, saying stuff, where it was just like, shut up, shut up, shut yeah. up. But he didn't. And then he ended up dead instead. So who did they, uh, you said you were going to get back to the Patsy. Uh, yep. Who ended up as... Who was intended as the Patsy? Was it always uh, Christopher Patterson? No, 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 no. Christopher Patterson came years later. Years later. Years. Oh. Uh, do you know, um, th this is a very, very uh, bizarre one. I I just um, need to remind myself of his name. Josef, uh, Josef, uh, um, not Mengele. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it, we're almost there. Hang on <laughs> two seconds. Okay. Josef Schnitz. Um, so he came years later. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the first one they tried to nail it on was not the one that had been planned. The one that they had planned to be the patsy for this whole thing was a man called Josef Fritzl. Is that a name that resonates oh with you? Oh, my God. That's We know him. You know him, yeah, but you didn't know him at that time at all. Wow. You know him now because it, there was an incredible scandal that erupted that uh, where he was, uh, uh, it, it turned out that he had held his daughter kept uh, imprisoned in his uh, own cellar basement for 24 years, I think, that he had multiple kids with her and so on. He was called the, the monster from monster from something like that yeah. the monster Josef Fritzl he was on location that night in Stockholm being directed around wow. by uh, these people how do I know this I know it because of Hans Holmier the first investigators his own book he's talking about that but he doesn't name him as Josef Fritzl he called him the mad Austrian guy mm. and uh, so he was the guy that they had set up to be nailed for this one. So he was standing waiting not far from the site of the assassination, uh, waiting to be picked up by a police car. He didn't know what he was involved in. I don't mm. think so at mm. all. Mm. And I think the reason why they chose him, I believe, was because of this scandal of him having his daughter in the basement. Ah, because he was... So they could use that against him. Yeah, To, to keep him quiet, yeah, at yeah. least until... You know, they take him out the court yes. case, yes. or yes. or they take him out, or whatever, yeah. because he was also doing manufacturing uh, passports for Mossad and other intelligence agencies. He was involved in a lot of shady stuff, so I think they had him by the balls, and he looked 
the deal. He looked perfect yeah. as one of these individuals. Mm. So also they had him made in his name. There was a death threat made against Olaf Palmer the day before his death. Uh, you know, so that uh, they would say, oh, he threatened him here and then he killed him there. Mm. So instead of him being uh, picked up by this police car, the NATO team, the police car that should pick him up was part of the fake assassination. But the NATO team had had uh, a, a police car that they hijacked and came and was standing uh, talking to the guy at the exact time when the other car was coming to pick him up. So that so that they gave him perfect alibi by a police car standing there, but it was not the police that they wanted. Mm. It absolutely messed the whole thing up. So they couldn't use him at all. Mm. And that is where the whole hunt for a killer started and which made it really, really, really complicated for them. Mm. So the first one they went for was uh, uh, Victor Gunnarsson, the so-called 33rd year old, uh, who was taken in who is some person that I'm still trying to figure out who he was, but I think he was involved in the Gladio network somehow on a distance around this whole thing involved, knowing about certain details. But anyway, he, after he was released, when they couldn't nail him, he left Sweden and he went to the US where he was later found dead, yeah. uh, naked in the forest, yeah. assassinated, exactly. Then you had, they were trying to nail PKK for it. And then, which was bizarre because yeah. PKK, which was the Kurdistan freedom movement, was the only one that was backing them in the world was Olaf Palme. Yeah, so exactly. why on earth would they kill him? Yeah. But there you go, the logic of these uh, forces. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. several years later, they tried many, many people, including my brother, was interrogated. I mean, I, I don't know how many hundreds. Your brother? Yeah, but he has also like a, uh, well, he would fit perfectly had he had a violent background. Thank God he did not. But they, the police drove about 600 kilometers to come and, and interrogate him. Jesus. Anyway, but uh, there were many, many, many people interrogated where they were trying so to So this case is personal for you, actually? Yeah, I, no, I don't want to say that. <laughs> no. Well, no. Okay. Had they had they taken him, that's a different case. But no. Yeah, sure. But sure. anyway, um, so in '88 they finally came up with uh, with the Krista Petson, and this is a guy with a perfect alibi. You know, w mm. at the time of the assassination, he was seen sleeping so drunk in a subway car way north of Stockholm, and the witness that saw him there was a vicar. Mm. A vicar mm. who gave him, he wasn't, he, he started coming out uh, in this investigation, giving evidence about other stuff, but he had a perfect alibi. But then it was that they were desperate, they couldn't find anyone else. And he was so perfect, you know, his, he looked, uh, he looked mad, he was saying mad stuff, he had killed somebody else before, very close to that thing, he stabbed a guy with a bayonet years before, just uh, half a kilometer from the site. And uh, so they uh, got this uh, other guy who was also a witness to what actually happened, turned him around, and then they got him to, to frame Christa Petson. And, uh, yeah. and it was also the wife of... But this, the, is, this is known today. I mean, you can see this in mainstream documentaries. Mm. It's no serious person who's actually looked into this thing sees the guilty one. So it's a, it, they, they bungle this case from beginning to end, actually, all, in all aspects. And I can see now that we don't have time to 
to go very far away from from this case. So I suggest we wrap up for the rest of the show until we go to your stuff. We wrap up a few loose threads connected to this case. Yeah. Um, because the question, I mean, I will be lynched by my listeners if I don't ask <laughs> you, whatever do you think actually happened in the aftermath behind the scene, I mean, with Palma. Do you think that the NATO guys thought, okay, he's out of the picture so we can let him live? Or do you think we have to take him down now? Do you think the original people, uh, you know, the Palma people, tried to find out who the other team was and managed to do that? Mm. I mean, I can see intrigues behind the scenes here and probably... <laughs> just as an interesting story in the aftermath. Have you managed to uncover any of this? Yeah. And uh, for sure, chaos, chaos, chaos. <laughs> I mean, the NATO team knew that the target was down. They did not know that it was not Ola Palme. I mean, they hit and they left. So a lot of these things have taken so many years to uncover. And <clears throat> and. Uh, I, I believe I'm one of the few that has taken it this far. Of course, uh, the NATO forces and so on have discovered along the way that, oh, my God, yeah. we didn't take out the real guy. Yeah. But he has been out anyway. He was out anyway. Mm. His madness stopped at that point. Yeah. So their their operation was completed successfully by doing what they did. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But Olaf Palme himself, as far as I know, he lived on for quite a few years. His family and mistresses and so on uh, often uh, flew down down to the south of uh, Europe where they were meeting up with him. Uh, his wife was working for UNICEF and used that cover many times to fly down where people I've spoken to, her colleagues, they didn't know what she was doing. Mm. She was visiting him. Mm. and But then in the end of his life, as far as I know, he was moved around a few times and he moved to Russia where he was held uh, there. He, there was about five different locations that I think he lived in. And as far as I know, he's now buried at a small little cemetery in, uh, out in the countryside. I know the exact uh, cemetery, where, but under another name. And I believe that is where his wife, Lisbeth, is also buried now. Officially, both of them are buried at the Otto Friedrich Schürke uh, in central Stockholm. But uh, I tell you, uh, if there's a body down there and it's all a Palme, you, you're welcome to chop off my right arm. I tell you that one. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's possible to verify. You can take a test and find out, you know. You cannot. You cannot. Why not? With, what are you talking? A DNS test yes. or what? Yes. Yeah, of course. But the thing is that the 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 coffin uh -huh. was uh, uh, I've heard from people who were part of carrying it. They said it weighed a ton because it was lined with with lead on the inside. Wow. I would say one of the reasons for that is to avoid X-rays from ground level because I think if it's not the double that is in that grave, then it's empty. And uh, I've been speaking to different people, you know, with different scanning equipments and uh, geolo geologists and stuff. Yeah. But they say it's it's very hard to do that discreetly. You have to sort of be there on the grave doing it. Mm -hmm. And and at this point, until more and more of this will come out in the open, mm -hmm. it's not possible. But one day, I tell you, Sweden will be shaken in its foundation <laughs> because it will turn out that a lot of what I'm saying, if not all, is true. Hmm. They usually. And this they, has come forward. Sorry, hmm. it has come forward now 
by people who worked at that laboratory, you know, where they were doing the testing. Also, mm. other people around him have stepped forward and said, yes, he had AIDS. Also, police officers that were close to other people have said, yes, mm. we knew about it, but it was this top, top secret. So it's not only me now. It used to be more or less only me. Mm. And now more and more people. And a friend of mine, close here at Bay, uh, he came forward with a book a few years ago where he's describing exactly more or less this. Not uh, we we have some areas where we totally disagree. He's not uh, this whole thing with the NATO team. It's not his part at all. But around him being sick and that thing, and he stepped forward with that, and now suddenly it has become a well-known theory in Sweden. Before that, when I mentioned these things, oh, my God, it was wow. just like, um, so I'm very grateful that after all of these years, he really opened the door for that. Yeah, that's that's vindication. Yeah, but so who vindication, whatever. I just want the truth to come out there. Yeah, yeah. But it is frustrating when you're sitting with so much information and then it's just being totally neglected or, or ju just like with you. And uh, like I said, with the, I mean, it's only a few years ago that I started doing Swedish interviews. Mm. I mean, I've done almost a thousand internationally, yeah. and you would think that some people <laughs> would be interested, you know. And I've I've been touring in Sweden. I've been doing yeah. now. Suddenly, boom! Sweden is exploding. It's fantastic. But uh, yeah, let's hope the same happens in Norway. But you know the saying: you never become prophet in your own country. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Listen, you well, do, I would very much like to say also that uh, when it comes to Norway, you have been heavily, heavily, heavily hit by these dark forces as well, where this beautiful nation of yours have been hijacked by very dark, dark elements. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that, that's such a contemporary case, and it's much more on the radar of people. So I suggest we have another show just on that. For sure. Uh, because I haven't seen any credible... I mean, I, I tried to find out. Is there any intelligent conspiracy analysis of this? And I mostly found retarded stuff and people who weren't properly informed. Okay. But you are close. I mean, I expect a different level of quality from you. So I'm so interested in hearing hearing your take on that case. But uh, to wrap up, yeah, you want to comment? No, this is exactly what I wanted to say. Is I've done one presentation at the Open Mind Conference in Copenhagen called When Terror Struck Norway. That mm. I stand 100% by what, what is in that presentation. And it is mind-blowing, to say the least. Mind-blowing. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it gets shut down all the time. But I still think you can find it in different places. So when terror struck Norway, please look into that one. Mm. And then that would also make it easier. Because in that, I've got a very detailed PowerPoint where people can see for themselves, you know, Aha, aha, because once again, these operations are not easy to understand if you just on an audio level. It's a lot easier if you get yeah. the visuals as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you made a documentary movie for the parliament thing. And of course, it's called uh, Coup in Slow Motion. And that's that, that's the part we didn't have time for now. But I have one question about that. Okay. Uh, when it comes to these patterns that you have analyzed and other experts in false flag, like the chap I couldn't remember the name of, uh, I ask you, has that pattern been upgraded through the years and evolved? 
or are they sticking to the exact same playbook? It has evolved very, very, very little. It has uh, these, it's almost like the templates that was perfected by the Romans have just been upgraded, digitalized, and that's it. It's psychological wow. operations. And uh, this is why it becomes incredibly valuable to understand how they, what, what methods they were using. And then you can just see it happen in, in modern day life over and over and over and over again. And uh, without bragging, or I am indirectly bragging, but I am considered by many <laughs> as being the number one false flag guy in the world after all of these years. Not something I, I'd uh, oh, I'm sure. try to become, but, but this is how I'm presented many times. I'm sure. I just kicking myself. I can't remember his name because I want your take on him. Yeah, he I, was. Is it, he has glasses. He's overweight. Um, I don't know if he lives anymore, but he was very active uh, on Alex Jones' show. You know, a, a couple of decades ago, yeah. uh, for the nine eleven thing. He was one of the first who started to talk about nine eleven as an inside job. What on earth is his name again? Uh, I think he was associated with La Rouge. Um, um, yeah, I I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he had an excellent presentation of the pa the pattern they use. Yeah, so I'm sure you're familiar with it, since this is your it's, domain. I I think many of us have come to the same conclusion. You know, when you look for the same things, often you you come you find similar things, and this is why it's so valuable that we. Oh, his word, his name is just coming in and out. I know exactly who you're talking about. And this guy mm. is very, very intelligent, very, very knowledgeable. Right. And uh, Exactly. What the hell? In fact, I want him on. I don't know if he lives anymore, but if he does, I want him on my show. I haven't seen him but for a few years. That's right. He's just disappeared. So I'm not sure. But uh, he was uh, Linden La Rouge. He, he, he was, was very active there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it was associated with La Rouge uh, yeah. people for a while. And there's an, there's another organization, think whatever you want about the political yeah. aspect, but they've, they have delivered a lot of incredible research, mm -hmm. the La Rouge people around these things as well. Oh, yeah. They, in fact, they are one of the first who talked about the Bowman Brotherhood. That is our angle here. But okay. uh, But we have you on now. So let's hear, first off, you have... It's almost a brand mark. You have a website called Light on Conspiracies, which is a good name. Thank you. Because that's what they need. So it's more than just a website. Could you go into a little about how you organize your work here? My website is um, its actually a massive, massive, massive platform where I try to protected platform where I try to share space with other truth seekers where as far as I know have been able to confirm the authentic uh, authenticity of their research and knowledge and so on so these people that are also being heavily censored uh, I try to bring them on and present their uh, stuff on the, my website as well so that my website can be like a platform for people who don't have thousands of hours to to make sure that the information is true and so on, mm. to make it as easily navigated as possible. I can't guarantee, the only person I can guarantee for is myself. I have no idea, you know, who people are, if they've got hidden agendas. But as sure. far as I know, what is being presented on this side is uh, 
of value. Mm. And so I think you can be on that website for years, actually, years. And it's everything <laughs> about chemtrails, vaccines, uh, uh, you name it, pedophile trafficking, assassinations, false flag operations. Because once you get into the hidden networks behind these operations, you will see that so, so, so much of it is connected. That these forces have worked so hard to concentrate the power to fewer and fewer and fewer over the generations and been very successful at it. So nowadays, it doesn't really matter almost whatever you start digging into, you will end up with the same octopus. You will, yeah. The head of the octopus is the same. And if that is... Uh, given the name, this uh, brotherhood, or if it's called Sarko, or if it's called, uh, you, I mean, many of these things are so tightly knitted together. And so, is it the Jesuits? Yes. Is it the CIA? Yes. Is it the Mossad? Yes. Is it the, you know, mm. the, the answer is yes. <laughs> but they're, they're so intertangled into each other, a web of lies and smoke and mirrors and labyrinths and so it's very, very hard. At the same time, once you start identifying these individuals and forces, you will see them coming back over and over mm -hmm. and over again. Mm -hmm. Same players, same players. And ultimately, what we're up against is evil. That's it's To simplify the whole thing, we're up against evil. And mm -hmm. in my world, that is so not okay. So I would mm -hmm. do everything in my power and my life and my spirit to do to transcend this madness yeah because you do have a spiritual um, perspective too uh, you know personally right yep. i know that because I've, I've looked up your books so you're into raya yoga or something yeah raj yoga is the science of the mind it's uh, it's not a religion it's sort of like a five thousand year old manual or over five thousand years this has been perfected a manual over the human mind how to deal with it how to to cope with it how to make it uh, your servant instead of you being the slave under it and uh, so yes raj yoga has been very important to me I, and the spiritual yeah i was sorry. just i was just going to say i think it's so important because i see many people i think that's one of the reasons you are still a balanced earthly guy because Many people lose themselves when they go down this rabbit hole of darkness. Yeah, yeah. And they become, I mean, if they don't lose themselves, they become consumed by it, sickly, negative, yeah. deceased. Yeah. It's horrible. It, it can destroy people. Yeah. Because who wants to know that, you know, you live in, in hell? So I kudos you for having that anchor, that spiritual anchor. And I recommend everyone to find their own path. There you go. In order to balance the outer darkness with the inner light if you see what i mean yeah and the thing is i don't live in hell at all <laughs> i live in a fantastic beautiful beautiful place yeah. with a dark little force <clears throat> that is trying to scare the living bejesus out of us but it's a tiny dot of horrible stinky darkness but because of we us being so lame and so involved with our own desires and our own lives that we don't care about really what's going on around us we've let this tiny little dot of dark smelly stuff become to take over our lives mm. so what we need to do is, is uh, expose it you know it's just like a cancer growth in your body your body can look perfectly healthy but if there's a cancer growth in there and you don't expose it it will lead to 
your own destruction in the end. So this is not really, it's a mandatory thing. I think you don't have a choice really. Yeah, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it either. I would like to have a cold beer and sit and jam. But at the same time, right here and now, there's this spiritual fight going on. I see it as a spiritual fight where my my part of it or that I hope that I contributed is, is with is to make this uh, c curtain that is hiding the dark forces. I'm trying to make it more and more transparent so that people can see through it, see that these massive big powers that all the time tell you you have no chance, you're weak, you're worthless, you're useless, and we, you need us to protect you. The more we, I expose, the more transparent it becomes, you will see that behind these are a tiny few super psychopaths who are drowning in their own desires, who are, who are you know, like driven by their own paranoia and greed and all kinds of weird, bizarre stuff that I don't understand. Mm. No. But the thing is, once we understand that it's not true, it's an illusion, mm. all of this evil, so much of it is an illusion. Mm. What we're being told is not true. So let the truth set us free. Yeah, and I think one of the most important understandings we can have by exposing these rotten plots that they've been playing with, at least since the Second World War, is that the world could be the paradise it is made to made for yeah. and and people don't realize that they people don't trust other people and the virus is the ultimate end game for that because psychologically people have been conditioned now to think that other people are crazy dangerous blah 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 fear 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 yeah. and now even materially oh i can't even hug people i can't i have to be away from people mm. so uh, yeah it's it's horrible but let's let's go down that road next time i want to uh, focus more on your work mm. you have um, a podcast i discovered yeah. tell us about that i i have i have done everything 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 i can yeah. for so many years it's 40 years of my life now so i've had uh, i had a podcast um i've had what it calls oldest daylights where i do like one or two a week where i try to empower people i've gone on i've been touring in 15 different countries as a one-man band i've done almost a thousand international interviews uh, on in I don't know how many different countries I've written four or five books, something like that. Oh, some of them on how to deal with your mind. One is called Re-Mind Me, Remind Me on how to uh, how to deal with these dark forces, how to deal with life, how to not let you become controlled of fear. Instead, let fear become your friend and learn how to surf these waves mm. and have fun in life instead. Because we live in this beautiful, beautiful universe that is meant to be enjoyed and here we are in a horror movie what the hell we need to shake shake out <laughs> yeah. and come on and find out is it really true that's the main thing is what i'm being told really true mm. if it's not is there any reason for me to be afraid and i would like to suggest that so so many of the things that we're being told through media and through governments are there to control you Governmente. It's Latin and it means control the mind. Mind control is the name of the game. You got regierung. Regierung 
in, in Norwegian as well, Regering and or mm. Norwegian, all the Scandinavian German language. It means rulers. Mm. They're not there. I am not their servant. I tell you that. So I don't even listen to them. I break every law I, I feel like because the law that counts for me is the law of the heart. That is the one I follow. The law of humanity, love, compassion, caring, that one. The other ones that are there to control me, sorry, I do not accept them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the guy we couldn't remember the name, finally tracked him down, Webster Topley, of course. Oh, come on. Sorry, Webster. Yeah, right. Sorry, sorry, exactly. sorry. No, but he, he is a very, very well-researched individual. Yeah. Very well. Just yeah. Not many of those around. No. Not at all. Now, uh, people can support you by getting your books. Uh, of course, you have a book called Slow, what was it? Slow, Coup d'etat in slow motion, Coup, right? Yeah, Coup d'etat in slow motion. Yeah. Or, or if you want it in Swedish, it's Statskup e slow motion. Or in German, it's in German as well. It's two parts, but please understand, it's one book, but it's only because it was. it's almost 900 pages or some more than that. So I had to make it in two different parts. Otherwise, it would be like a brick to hold in the hand. Wow. So if you buy only part one, you only get half the picture. You have to, the two of them uh, belongs together. That one has been described as a, a truce, a bomb, like by Michael Moore's agent. And he said, if you're ever going to get that published, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. So I, in the end, I published it myself mm. after, it's a long story, it doesn't matter. Mm. But uh, yeah, I've got another one called Shadow of Tears about how I took a bicycle on my own uh, many years ago. And from Sweden, uh, I was going to South Africa, and then I ended up in Iran instead. Wow. And there, I, I right in the middle of the war, and oh, uh, I ended up falling in love with people down there. And so I smuggled some of them out through former Russia, uh, former East Germany, up to Sweden. Oh my God! And uh, two to Canada, and uh, then I got one uh, kids' book called Yolanda Yoga Panda. Uh, Truth is one, past are many where it's based on the Raj Yoga philosophy. And then I've got the Remind Me, Re-Mind Me, uh, about how the mindset, the whole thing about how how to learn to deal with your mind, control your mind. It's a, it's a tiny little book. It's like a one-hour read, but it's made an incredible impact. I, I've had people even said that it saved their lives, so I'm, I feel extremely grateful to have been part of that. Mm. And then I'm in the middle of writing one book called Guilty Victim, about the assassination, alleged assassination of Olaf Palme, where, but the real story, but, and it, this one is going to be, it's in the way of a, like a Dan Brown novel, like short, short chapters, fast moving, but really pointing out exactly what I believe happened, which is very complex. But once you get it down in that form, it works a lot easier. And I'm involved also with people. <clears throat> I've been trying to get it made as a TV series. I, I'm also having dealings with Netflix that has led absolutely nowhere in so far. But I hope that I hope I hope one day that there will be a breakthrough. Now, hang on, hang on. The boss of Netflix, she's uh, a part of the national security state. I know that. The I new, know that. The new boss. So that's probably why. I know. Yeah, yeah. 
No, but it's but the the thing with Netflix is that they're one hundred percent propaganda or indoctrination. Yeah. But they're also seeing that this world, this that I'm come from, is generating income for them. Right. Because people are getting more and more interested. So they're opening up to do real things as well, as well as the crap thing. I mean, like. Uh, all the official, doc- many of the official documentaries uh, and so on, sponsored by Netflix, is just like, oh, I'm really. <laughs> it's such crap on a level that you can't even imagine. Yeah. But then there are also areas where they open them up now. And I, I hope, I hope that we get going that way. Mm. So I, I want to continue just saying also that I've been down in Holland and uh, with. Um, some people down there who comes from the TV industry before and with the knowledge and the technology from that. So we have been filming, I think it's about 16 hours of interviews on different cases, but it is TV quality, you know, Mm. so that that is on standby for the day when these doors open up, we already have like, boom, 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 nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, I mean, there's so many topics you have taken on, um, and you mentioned some of them. And, you know, there's false flags, mass shootings, vaccinations, all that stuff, geoengineering, mass surveillance, uh, lots of stuff. But today we've talked a lot about assassinations, and there's two people I'm convinced were assassinated that I haven't seen any good stuff on. Okay. One of them uh, I mentioned earlier in the show, that's your own uh, Doug Hamashal. And the other one is actually Roosevelt, um, FDR Roosevelt. Mm. Uh, I don't expect you to start a new lecture on this, but do you regard those two as being assassinated too? Because I haven't seen you do anything on them. It, the only reason I haven't done it is because I know too little. Right. Uh, Dog Hammarskjöld, for sure, was, that plane was taken down. Uh, that I know for sure. Mm. And uh, Roosevelt, there's a lot of rumors that he was also put to an end. Uh, not a natural way of dying, as far as I know. And I'll tell you who. It's the same guys who took out JFK. It's the Dulles people. So, well, Dulles is in the background of so, so yeah. much. I mean, if you if you see Bush Sr., the Dulles brothers, uh, the I mean, these ones are so, so involved in it's on a level that is ridiculously high. So indeed. Yeah, no, for sure. OK, OK. Two things here. Uh, so you have a, a documentary. People can get that, too. And that could not be be as substantial as the book but you go through the entire story with the visuals you were talking about right so people can see for themselves are we talking about the Olaf Palmer one yeah I I wouldn't call it a documentary as such I've done I've got on my website I got like uh, in the membership area where you can see five six hour presentations where the whole thing is uh, also the the powerpoints okay but also i've done dvds uh, i have that about norway as well when terror struck norway as a dvd as well mm. i've got uh, yeah like i say I've, I've been trying to on as many different levels and platforms and you name it uh, do and present this whole thing the thing is that i'm being censored heavily everywhere yeah it's now in the algorithm so when i put my name up boom it gets shut down and uh, 
So I saw your YouTube uh, channel was gone. Yeah, my YouTube channel was shut down a few years ago with hundreds of thousands of uh, yeah, whatever. Mm. And now uh, we moved around and now Vimeo was trustworthy for a while, uploaded. I had almost, almost more than 300 interviews on mine up there. And now that got shut down just a few weeks ago. No warning, no nothing, just boom, shut down. And so now I'm in the process of, of having to redo and redirect. And so we, we bought a, a, direct, a dedicated server for, for only that. And hopefully we'll be able to keep that protected up there so we don't have to do that again. But I always try, after every attack, I try to come back, but th- that it's presented even better. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a tip for you. It's probably too late now, but everybody who has YouTube channels, you should spread the word. There's something called Libri. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it. They have no vowels. Yeah. Library. I think it's a spoof from both library and liberty. Yeah. They have a, something called Odyssey, yeah, I which I think will become the YouTube. And you only have to give them the permission and they copy everything over. So when the day comes, because we will be deleted eventually at YouTube also, of course. So when the day comes that it happens to people like me, that has already happened to people like you. You were very early out, even before Alex Jones. Yeah. I'm then, um, bam, it's there. You haven't. You don't have to do all that work that you now have to do. So I right. recommend that. Yeah, I'm, I've just joined Odyssey as well. Mm. And But I have a question for you, though. If, yep. they, if they transfer it, is it only the links or do they actually transfer the video, the whole thing, so that if the original video gets shut down, Will it still be on Odyssey or will it be deleted there? It's uh, it will be on a library, yeah, in, on their servers, and then but the library. Will the, will the video be there yeah. or will it just be linked to the original video? No, it won't just be linked to YouTube. It's as I understand it, my tech guy says, library copies everything over, so it's saved there, and then Odyssey points to library, not to YouTube. Okay. Okay. So that's uh, that's a backup, right? And th- those yeah. guys are idealists. They are like, they want people who are censored. Yeah. So. And I've heard that a hundred times. Uh, also, I this know, is I also know. the perfect way of, <laughs> of getting, luring people yes. over. Yes. you got like a new, uh, brand new tube. I've just put a, a whole lot of things over there. And now that's censored. Which one is that? Bitchute. Brand new tube. Then a bit shoot, they say they promised they will not do anything. And now I, I've broken their guidelines and, and I've had several shut down wow. there. So what is that? Do you know? And the thing is, what I get shut down for is hate speech. That is what they call wow. it. Bullying and hate speech. Where is the where is the hate speech? Have I ever said anything hateful in my whole life? I don't think so almost. So what what is it? It's because it could be seen as hateful against them. I would say in that case, I understand what that is all about. But it's becoming so ridiculous. So, But indirectly, it's a blessing because so-called ordinary people are also starting to see, oh, my mm-hmm. God, what is going on? There's actually censorship going on big yeah. time. And just like Voltaire said many, many years ago, he said, to find out who controls you, find out who you're not allowed to criticize. Yeah, yeah. Very well uh, quote. Uh, is brand YouTube, uh, did they also delete you? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not delete me, but they did not allow my, my uh, videos. I transferred a lot of them over there, and they were then going through them to approve, and none of them got approved. Wow. 
Okay. So they're not deleting it, they're just not allowing it. I see. But that's indirectly the same thing. Absolutely. Well, I, I bet we're going to get in trouble for having you on too, but I mean... No. <laughs> yes, the algo, you, you can't avoid the algorithm. At least it will be demonetized, but I hope they won't remove it. We're just discussing an old case. be interesting to see if we're discussing um, Utøya and Breivik. Oof, that is a heavy yeah. Yeah, because that's contemporary. That is not a Norwegian. It's hot. That is not a Norwegian operation. That is a mm. big one. Big, big, big one. Mm. Okay. I would love to tell you that one. That's still one of, of Utøya. I'll tell you, you will be blown away. <laughs> well, I'll take you on. I'll take the challenge. You come back and we do one on that. Book a date. Okay. That would be perfect. Sounds good. It's perfect. <laughs> anyway, listen, I need to go there. standing yep. waiting here for me. But uh, yeah, you do. Please send me the link when, once it's up there. So I'll help uh, spread it around as well. Perfect. So I know we went over time, but I hope you still. Uh, yeah, not a problem. It was, can, it was big, can get to do what you... Yeah, no, I was the one yep. pushing the time, so don't worry about that. Okay. So, but it's very nice to have met you, though. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks a lot for coming on today, Ola. Thank you so much yep. for inviting me. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye. And there you have it. We're going to go more into the deep state stuff. Uh, we didn't have so much time today to muse around the overlaying bigger picture and the cabal. We will do that more in the next show when we focus on the Breivik massacre at Utøya. Then we'll have time also to, to go into these things. And remember, I'm not convinced about that actually being an op. I'm open to it. He will present me his arguments, the facts, the reasoning, and we'll see. And I'll make up my mind. And of course, that's how it has to be, because that's what our show is all about, right? <laughs> I'm not trying to shovel down your throat a specific standpoint. I'm not into shaping your opinions. What we're about is the old school, almost anachronistic approach of presenting facts, presenting information, so you can make up your own mind. Almost lost in this culture today of propaganda, indoctrination, emotions, opinionating. Very anti-intellectual. But since you have come to the forum, you know, whatever is presented to you is for your consideration. Something you, you will agree with, some you will disagree with. There's a whole range of, of stuff there, and that's how it has to be. So I will be in the same position when Ole comes back. So it's not about agreeing about everything, it's about being informed. I mean, often we, we, we shouldn't take a standpoint because we lack. I only take standpoints when I'm absolutely convinced Otherwise, I suspend judgment, but I consider, and I think many of you share that same sound attitude, and come here for info that may or may not be paradigm expanding. You know, this um, the deletion of Ulis channels made me thinking that we may also be gone eventually. As you know, I've uh, actually talked for a long time about how the mainstream media channels, because nobody watches TV or reads newspapers, desperately seized YouTube. So that, in, in, because this isn't a meritocracy, this isn't like a free market. It's all about control. So they seized YouTube as the biggest online platform and competitor for people's attention to what they themselves spew out. But that's not enough. It's not enough that those cartels owning the media corporations 
now also owns YouTube and of course all the big social media platforms and also the companies advertising on these places. No, that's not enough. Remember when they took out, um, when they started the demonetization, they, the excuse was the completely foolish example of some extremist channel nobody was watching had one mainstream ad on it and then all the hysteria and the fake outrage and the campaign in media against it so youtube under their new owners so it wasn't like youtube was under siege same people implemented the full demonetization of all independent channels overnight and this is their plan and it looks like it's working actually to make YouTube force us to still watch the old stream by cleansing uh, independent media. Now, that's not enough. It's not just that they are taking the biggest non-mainstream platform out there and try to survive by that. No, they're also going after potential alternatives. I'm sure you heard about many independent media and social media platforms being taken down, like what was it is called a Twitter alternative. And it's completely unfair. It's completely fabricated. It, it, it's so rigged and uh, disgusting. And now they're coming after Odyssey. We mentioned that in a show today. And I think the reason is that Odyssey is the biggest threat to YouTube in, in terms of becoming a new tube. And so that's why they're going after them. Go to Odyssey and check it out, they're informing about it there. So they get their people in the state to to sue them. And also while the mainstream media also makes hit pieces on them, and they're actually going after both cryptocurrency and Odyssey at the same time. So I don't know if they will survive it, but per today, we are present with everything on YouTube, we also have on Odyssey. And we also have all the audio versions of our shows, in all the podcast platforms so do me a favor if you like the show not just uh, subscribe on youtube which obviously is an advantage to us if you do but also get your ass over to odyssey and whichever podcast platform you prefer and sub to us at both those places because one day we will be gone overnight and most people won't even notice it maybe half a year after you will think hmm Foreign Borealis, haven't heard from them in a while. Uh, and if you look us up at YouTube, you won't find us. So I suspect that is in the cards for us. And so if we can get as many as possible of our 40,000 YouTube subscribers over to the backup Odyssey or and to podcast, we're good. So um, that would be a tremendous advantage for us, not just in terms of having that backup for a rainy day, but also in terms of becoming established at those two places so that we don't have to rely so much on YouTube anymore, which has been our main base so far, because we started before it got corrupted. So, so that's, that's it. it. Thanks, Thanks for listening, for your support, and to my team. I've been your host, Al, sincerely signing off. Be easy. number one.